Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Racing with Robin Roller podcast. Wherever you may be, in whatever platform you may be listening on, every part of the show is the same. Beginning with the hosts, I'm Josh Roller in Charlotte, North Carolina, and Rob Peters, who you will hear from in just a moment, is in Indianapolis. Rob will have a lot to unpack in the Rob's Racing Report. Uh, then we both have a lot to discuss from Martinsville and Amola. We'll both uh, do some upshifting and downshifting later on to five hot topic questions surrounding this past racing weekend. And I'll share another featured racetrack with you uh, and Rob as well. I don't know if Rob's heard about this track or not, but we're going to find out later and see his reaction. But before we jump into this jam-packed first segment, let's review our Twitter just for everyone out there uh, in case you're new to the show. If uh, you're not new, you already know these. But Rob is at rpeters33, that's R-P-E-E-T-E-R-S-3-3. I can be found at roller underscore zero one, R-O-L-L-E-R underscore zero one. The show is at Robin Roller, just as it sounds there, R-O-B-A-N-D-R-O-L-L-E-R. And use the hashtag Robin Roller to find us a little bit quicker on the search bar there and play along when you, uh, we we tell you to later with the upshift, downshift, and the uh, guessing with the featured racetrack and playing along with the feature paint scheme as well. So with that being said, we need to go ahead and get started. We're one minute, 30 seconds in. doesn't seem like a whole lot, but we have a lot to talk about. As I said, Rob, take it away. Yeah, I'm excited to take this one away because we do have a lot to unpack. There was a lot that we need to talk about. So let's just jump into it. Starting with Formula One, following his victory at Imola this weekend, Lewis Hamilton admitted that it was no guarantee he would be back at Formula One next season. Hamilton said, I would like to be here next year, but there's no guarantee of that for sure. There's a lot that excites me of the life of the afterlife or following F1, so time will tell. Uh, Depending on how you look at it and if you believe it, three seats have been confirmed for the 2021 Formula One season. So first, Alfa Romeo announced that Kimi Raikkonen and Antonio Giovinazzi will return in 2021 in what is seen to be a surprise surprise to many. I know I on this show predicted that Mick Schumacher would go to uh, Alfa Romeo because I just really didn't see them keeping Giovinazzi anywhere uh, because, quite frankly, while Gio is is not inherently a bad racer, he's just not necessarily been up to this up to the pace as Kimi. And I really thought Ferrari was going to be uh, really hot on on Mick, but I guess that's just not the case. They do like Giovinazzi, which is fine because after this past weekend, they did score double points for Alfa Romeo. So you know, maybe they, I think that maybe they did they did the right thing. Who knows? Uh, and then how about this? Uh, Williams has been some. There's been some weird stuff going on here with Williams. Uh, the second was that Williams acting team principal Simon Roberts has reaffirmed the team's commitment to George Russell and Nicholas Latifi after he admitted that he had con- caused confusion with some of his comments in re- recent weeks regarding Russell's seat with the team. So essentially what we were looking at was there was actually legitimate uh, belief that Sergio Perez was going to go to Williams and that George Russell would essentially be left out in the cold, which would be awful considering how uh, well George Russell has run and he's outperformed his teammates, uh, outqualified his teammates in, in almost every race that he's finished. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I really felt like uh, that was a bit of an odd rumor, but, uh, you know, I think that uh, it was pretty easy that uh, they were going to resign uh, Russell at the very least, at least they should. Um, kind of goes with that Sergio Perez camp planted the stories type. Well, there's a lot of people that are still pitching uh Perez to Red Bull yeah because I guess Perez is waiting for Red Bull to make their decision and that's what he's waiting on um and so I guess if if Perez is waiting on Red Bull 
then that makes me believe that he's being strongly considered by Red Bull. Um, because we already know Pierre Gasly is going back to Alpha Alpha Tauri. Now, I firmly believe that Danny Kafiat is probably going to get the X because we just saw uh, Yuki Sonoda get another F1 test in the Alpha Tauri. He's been very, very heavily linked to Alpha Tauri, probably replacing Danny Kafiat. I don't know what's that what's going to happen to that because I said Mick Schumacher was probably going to go to Alfa Romeo and that didn't happen. Yeah. So you know, I'm I'm now wondering if all the things I'm hearing about Yuki Sonoda are true. I mean, it all stems on Sonoda having to get the super license points that he needs, and we still have two races to go in the Formula Two season. So you know, probably you probably won't see a lot of driver announcements on that front until after the Formula Two season uh, is concluded. So, uh, in what will be the first of a couple of topics Josh and I will discuss later in the show, I'm moving on now, uh, but 2021 could see a record number of Formula One World Championship events, with now 23 being slated to be on the calendar. Uh, the season is again expected to begin in Australia and end in Abu Dhabi, with the original 2020 editions of Vietnam and uh, the Netherlands at uh, Zandvoort uh, to be included, All, and, and along with a new race in Saudi Arabia. Um now, what will determine whether or not the calendar is 22 or 23 races is if Brazil is included, because it is understood, this is, Interlagos is having issues. I guess the government there is is not really too still keen on funding the, pro, the, the track. Uh, tourists, fans, drivers say Sao Paulo is not exactly the safest area to be around in Brazil. They prefer to move it somewhere that's a bit nicer. Uh, so they want to move it to to Rio, uh, but the thing is, this they have this track that is supposed to be completed for the race for for next season. And uh, I got to tell you something: there's no work being done at that track. And the biggest problem with that track is it is uh, sketch. It is essentially the land that they want to use for it is a whole ton of rainforest land. Right. It's terrible. So you have a whole issue with this. So, so number one, people don't want to leave Interlagos. Uh, drivers don't want to leave, leave Interlagos. I know Brazilian drivers do not want to leave Interlagos. And second of all, um, Formula One, if, this is this is probably the worst PR, thir- worst thing you could put on your PR people because no, not, number one, you're saying, okay, we want to go to Saudi Arabia, which by the way, did we see how well that went over for Formula E? Formula E is still being criticized for having a Saudi Arabia E pre. Yeah. And now Formula yeah. One wants to do the same thing. But now you want to tear down a whole ton of rainforest to make a new track you don't even need in Rio when you had a perfectly good one, but you tore it down to make way for uh, an Olympics park that now sits abandoned and empty. Bingo. I understand that there's a lot of corruption within the Brazilian government, but at some point Formula One has to step in and try and not actually provoke this thing that kind of the corruption to kind of happen because I feel like that's what they're doing is they're almost provoking this kind of corruption to happen. You have no reason to build a racetrack in Brazil when you have a perfectly good one at Interlagos that is a fan favorite, that is a driver favorite. Yep. And just because it's not in that great of a place doesn't mean anything. You guys go to Bahrain and nobody says a darn thing. When, you know, you, it, it, what's what's so different? I mean, I'd actually, fe- I would personally, personally, I would feel a little bit safer in Sao Paulo than I would in Bahrain. That's just me. And I'll say that straight up. I, I just don't understand the logic behind this. I think that it's it's sad, and I don't want to opine too much about it because we are going to talk about it later on in the show, but that is essentially what is going on. Uh, Formula One is is trying to push through another race in Saudi Arabia, which, again, I'm trying to figure out the logic behind race team, racing series wanting to go to Saudi Arabia. I mean, who who is there? I mean, who is the, who is a Saudi Arabian race fan? Do they exist? 
I mean, I was surprised that uh, Azerbaijan had as many race fans as it does. But does Saudi Arabia have the same thing? Does Vietnam have race fans? I mean, you know you're, what you're getting in Europe, but you have no idea what you get what you're getting when you're going to some of these other locations that do not have racing backgrounds, racing histories. They have histories and other things. A lot of those places are more, if you bring a soccer team to them, they'll probably care a lot more than if there's a street race going on outside. Right. Uh, Josh, I've talked too much about that. I'm going to move on to IndyCar now. So in, there's IndyCar. Oh, my gosh. Look at this. Look at this. Look at all this. IndyCar silly season went crazy. So in a shock move, Alex Palou will depart Dale Quinn Racing for Chip Ganassi Racing and will take over the seat vacated by Felix Rosenquist, who is moving to Aero McLaren SP. Now, that was confirmed also this week. We had reported that previously, but it has was confirmed by Aero McLaren uh, this most recent, this weekend, this week. Um, and so Chip Ganassi is retaining Marcus Erickson. So it will be Erickson, Palou, Dixon, and then Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson is will be in a fourth car uh, in the 13 Road and Street Course event. So Johnson not running in four events of those of the uh, of the IndyCar season, but again, that's only four events because there's only four ovals, which is again ridiculous. Uh, Jimmy Johnson would yep. let's say hypothetically Jimmy Johnson finishes top five. This guy is tech would technically be in the championship hunt. You're if he finished top. If he finished top five in every single one of the races that he started, he would technically be in the championship hunt until at least the last three or four races. Hypothetically speaking, that's that's how much of the season that Johnson is still running, uh, just by not doing the ovals, and it shows how how few ovals are there. Um, moving on to the next piece of news here, Roman Grosjean admitted to members to the media that he has been in contact with IndyCar teams following the release of the 2021 IndyCar Series schedule. Uh, after initially ruling it out because of a fear of ovals. After talking with Marcus Erickson and hearing his experience in IndyCar, Grosjean has had a change of heart. So I guess uh, you could say he thinks uh, Erickson uh, might have hit him in the heart, I guess. I don't know. That was a bad pun. I'm sorry. Um, we got some drama to talk about over here, too, because uh, the, the, there was some drama in the Honda two-seater. So I'm going to kind of summarize this for you as best I can. So over the weekend, it was reported uh, by The Drive and by a couple of other news outlets uh, that Mario Andretti was essentially being ousted as the driver of the two-seater. He was ending yep. his run. Honda, or some, Honda was ending it. Um, and uh, when these reporters went to talk to Mario about it, Mario was confused, stated that he had no idea what they were talking about. He was just genuinely confused about the whole thing. Um, and so the reporters were equally as dumbfounded because they had received a press release stating that this would be Mario's final time in a Honda two-seater. So what do you think? What will what if you're a reporter and you get a press release mm-hmm. from Honda that says Mario Andretti is that says, "Hey, come out to this event at St. Petersburg. Mario Andretti is going to be here and he's going to race a Honda two-seater for the final time." What do you think? <laughs> you think that this is Mario's swan song in the two-seater. So you go down and you cover it as such because yep. that's what I'm going to go do. I'm going to ask Mario those questions. When Mario responds to me, what are you talking about? I honestly think my heart would sink. It'd be like, um, excuse me, what's going on here? So apparently what this is what happened. Honda is actually pulling out, pulling funding from the Honda two-seater program. So the two-seater is still going to exist. It's still being essentially funded and, and run by the Indy Racing Experience, but it's not going to be a Honda-branded machine anymore. Honda's not going to sponsor it, basically. Uh, and so when they sent that press release out, that announcement had not yet been made. So nobody knew that Honda was not going to be returning to sponsoring the Honda two-seater. Right. So the way they had phrased it 
was that Mario Andretti is going to be driving the Honda two-seater for the final time. Now, honestly, while I understand, you can see how that would be confusing. Because while, yes, you do state that it's the Honda two-seater, and that's what it's officially branded as, you think, I would think that that's just PR talk. You know, that they're saying that because that's what it is, and not necessarily saying that, oh, this is his final time driving the Honda-branded two-seater. So anyway, you have a bunch of clarifications that now have to go out that states, no, 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 Mario Andretti was not axed from the Honda two-seater program. Instead, Honda is withdrawing its support. Mario Andretti is still going to drive. It's just not going to be him driving a Honda two-seater. He's still going to drive a two-seater. It's just not going to be sponsored by Honda. So that is essentially some weird drama that happened. So the the moral of the story here is uh, PR people got to check with uh, their high-ups on what announcements have been made, and the high-ups have to check with their PR people on what uh, announcements they are going to make. Because uh, if you don't do that, you get situations like what we just saw here. So that's all for IndyCar news. Moving on to NASCAR news here now. Um, This is a final segment of our news show. I actually am going to talk briefly about one little V8 supercars thing. Uh, supercars, excuse me. Uh, but that's at the very end. Uh, the big news to come out uh, after we recorded last week was the worst kept secret of NASCAR Garage was confirmed. Literally the worst kept secret going on for about five years now, four or five years. Uh, because this has been a running joke of Larson to the five yeah. since uh, 2016, 15, maybe. Um, <laughs> yeah, his first contract extension, I think it was 16, between the 16, 17 seasons. Yeah, so uh, Larson to the five uh, became a reality, which. Nobody probably would have thought a couple of years ago, but we've now seen it happen. Uh, so he has signed a multi-year deal and will pilot the number five Chevrolet for Hendrick Motorsports in 2021. Sponsors have not been announced at this time. Rick Hendrick stated on the Dale Jr. download that Larson will be able to compete in dirt races, and that has led to the possibility of Chase Elliott running in late models. Hmm, interesting. Uh, Larson intends to continue the work he has done the past, past few months with organizations to further his growth as an individual. So, uh, essentially, we saw this coming, I think, and it was inevitable yeah. that Larson was going to be reinstated. Yeah. I think timing here is probably the right timing. It's at the very end of the season, uh, so it closes a silly season door, which is mm-hmm. important. Yeah. Um, and it kind of comes at a time where, you know, people aren't, I mean, people are talking about the NASCAR playoffs, but in terms of NASCAR being controversial, people are not talking about that. So I think if there was any time to announce it, I think now is the time because people are mostly distracted by the election news. Yeah. Uh, and and, and uh, I'm not going to talk much on it, but I do have some election news that is uh, NASCAR-related. Josh, I told you this before yes, you did. Uh, in the show. Um, former broadcaster, NASCAR and IndyCar and NHRA broadcaster Marty Reed was running for Hendricks County, Indiana County Council. He has unfortunately lost that run, that race. I say unfortunately because I think we all kind of wanted to see what it would be like to see Marty Reed in a post uh sports casting role uh apparently he decided to run for uh, hendricks county council in uh hendricks county indiana he ran as a democrat in a primarily republican county so that if if, if that was going to be an issue to begin with but uh yeah marty reed has lost his uh bid to be on the hendricks county council seat so uh that's probably the last time i'm going to talk about marty reed until he runs again or ever i don't know unless i'm looking back on his best calls i guess yeah um there you go which I will admit the 2006 Indy 500 is probably one of his best calls. Sounds like an idea for a future history segment, Rob's best calls or something. It would have been, it would have been fitting had he won his election. Yeah, I think, but I think since he lost the election, I don't know if it's very fitting. Um, 
Eh, oh well. Uh, hey, we got another bad, terribly kept secret that yes, we got to talk about today. Uh, uh, but 2311 Racing will be running Toyota Power, and they will have an alliance with Joe Gibbs Racing. The Toyota relationship will allow 2311 Racing to purchase a chassis and other services. Uh, and as is the case with many other Toyota and TRD teams within the NASCAR garages, technical information and communication amongst the teams will be encouraged to help improve performance across the Toyota and TRD family of teams and drivers. So... Will 2311 racing be successful right out of the gate? We'll see. You know, um, I'm not so sure uh, because we've seen brand new teams. It's kind of a struggle but to, to get started right out of the way. But again, I, I don't necessarily think a lot of those teams had the budget that we were probably seeing here with 2311 racing. I yeah. think having both uh, Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan backing you, plus Toyota backing you, Joe Gibbs backing you. Know, I feel like that's more of a recipe for success. Maybe you're probably looking at top 20s, top 15s mostly, uh, probably a top 10 here and there. But uh, I think that's really realistically what they might be shooting for next year. But we'll see. You know, I speculate a lot on this show. Uh, and uh, when I'm wrong, I admit I'm wrong. And uh, I was definitely wrong when we get to talking about our predictions for the final four, uh, the championship four for both these, all all three series, I was wrong entirely. So I'll admit when I'm wrong. Um, I'll admit when I'm wrong. That's for sure. Well, spoiler uh, alert: he wasn't completely too awfully wrong. We 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 we, we both. Yeah, it's like it's like uh, picking March Madness. It's kind of tough. Picking March Madness is is the toughest thing. But the thing about it is, as long as you can, the the thing about picking March Madness that's different than picking your Chase Grid is picking March Madness. Is you know you kind of you look at the polls. It, it it's the same kind of like as as in in NASCAR. You look at the polls and you say, okay, well I know this guy's this team's going to get to the next round. I know this team's going to get to the next round. But if this team advances, I don't know if this team's going to be able to beat them. But if this team doesn't advance, then this team's going to beat them. You know, you, you have all those scenarios that you go through when you're filling out the bracket. The same thing happens when you're filling out your chase grid or your playoff bracket for NASCAR is you're thinking, well, if this guy wins, if this guy wins Talladega, then this guy's not going to get in. Or if this guy has really good uh, stretcher races in, in the round of 12, then this guy might be prevented. You know, you got all those factors and, and you never know what's going to happen. So it's hard to, it's hard to call. It's hard to call, but uh yeah, anyway, um, last piece of news here for NASCAR, uh, and Josh and I will talk about this a little later in the show, but NASCAR did unveil the 2021 Xfinity Series schedule. The se season will feature 33 races this year. Iowa Speedway has dropped from the schedule. Its two dates have been replaced by a second race at Martinsville, which was very surprising to me. I expected at least another A race at Martinsville, but two races at uh, Martinsville was surprising for me, and a second race at Talladega, which I am all in favor for. I dig the idea of the Xfinity Series going to a second race at Talladega fine with that um but mid ohio will be the lone standalone event for the xfinity series in 2021 as the road america date will be one of the 32 companion events next season so really and, and this is the thing that's crazy to me is doing something like this would have been considered sacrilege but now that they've essentially all but banned cup series drivers in the xfinity series i guess this only helps the uh nascar this only helps buying a NASCAR ticket next year if you can do so safely. Uh, more valuable because at that point you're you know you're definitely getting at the very least two races for what could be the price of one in in a lot of situations. I don't know what Indianapolis is going to do next year, but I do know that when they had the Super Weekend, they had you could get like one whole ticket. You could pay one price and get all three races. Um, so maybe more more rate more tracks are going to start doing that. Who knows? Um, and then this last piece of news here, this was really interesting. This broke last week too. 
uh, supercars in 2021 is not going to go to Adelaide. Um, the government has actually axed the Adelaide round and said that they're not going to host it this year, which has become, uh, which has gone to a huge shock. The Adelaide 500 down in uh, South, uh, excuse me, Southern Australia is uh, one of the most popular events on the schedule, obviously behind uh, Melbourne and uh, Bathurst and a couple other, uh, you know, Sandown, places like that, the Enduros. But it is one of the most popular races uh, on the circuit in, in down there in supercars, and the government has decided they're not going to do it. But I have also heard that according to if the Labour Party in South Africa is re-elected, I believe. I don't understand Australian politics. I barely understand U.S. politics, but I, so I understand Australian politics even even less. But from what I have understood, what I have read is the Labour Party down there in Australia is in favor of reviving and re- having the race return. So the race is kind of up in the air right now. It all depends on an election, essentially, in Australia, South Australia. If that Labour Party gets in, then they say that they will uh, prevent the race from being axed. But uh, if, as it stands right now, uh, supercars will not be returning to Adelaide uh, next year. Um, oh, crud, I forgot this. I didn't realize. Uh, oh, Austin Hill will return to Hattori Racing Enterprises in 2021. Uh, that also happened. Um, which is surprise. Which happened? That that news pretty much broke right before he got eliminated from the playoffs. So yes, it did. That uh, time, you know, they, they should have waited. Should have waited. It, it, I, I'm sure it doesn't. It's a total it coincidence. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure it's a bit of bittersweet situation. Like, yeah, you're you're returning to the season, but yeah. you literally just this car literally just broke down on you, and now you're out of the out of the ride. So I don't know well, why it was an Ilmore engine failure. So it really wasn't the team's fault, but, uh, but an engine failure is still annoying nonetheless. Oh yeah. An engine failure is still annoying for sure. For sure. Well, Rob, that's I think all that's I got, it. all I got, that's all I got for the news. That's all I got. Yeah, for all, you got. all right. Well, we better be moving on here. Um, uh, cause it's the time to go to the feature paint scheme. And, and like we've done with some past, uh, retirees here, uh, and, and our sh- show short, uh life um we're going to do top three jimmy johnson paint schemes uh i know it's a week early it's but it's the final week for for nascar this coming weekend and then because next week we'll be doing our our top x amount of nascar paint schemes this season across the the, uh four divisions if we will so um rob why don't you start us off here share your top three jimmy johnson paint schemes uh, from his career so i mean i I think Jimmy Johnson had some outstanding paint schemes throughout his career. And I looked at some of the ones that you picked. And while I would pick all of those, um, there were a few to be that really stood out as significant, I think, in in my time watching Jimmy Johnson. So uh, three being not my favorite, two being kind of my favorite, one being my all-time favorite. So I'm going to start with number three. Number three is his 2006 Lowe's paint scheme. Uh, and now this was this paint scheme actually ran briefly at the end of 2000 the 2005 season, but it was his primary scheme uh, between 2006 and 2008, where he did win a stretch of in that time period three championships. He did win five straight in two different uh, paint schemes in 2009, 2010. I wasn't really a big fan of those. The 2010 scheme was all right. 2009 scheme was too much. I wish they hadn't changed changed it from this scheme that I'm talking about now. Agreed. But I like the black addition to it, the, the kind of silver gradient that it had. I thought it was an overall very visually appealing scheme. Uh, and uh, if you were definitely not a Jimmy Johnson fan back then because he was winning too much, um, I do think that at the very least, the paint scheme was one of the most pleasing schemes to look at back then. 
uh, especially in a car of tomorrow. It was one of the few schemes that actually really translated very well to the car of tomorrow. Um, so I really liked that scheme. It was, it's a timeless scheme. It'll go down in history. Uh, I think as being the paint scheme that kickstarted Jimmy Johnson's, uh, five straight championships with, he also started by winning the Daytona 500 in it too. So, um, Really and truly, the 2006 paint scheme is an all-time classic to me. Uh, the number two is actually going to be a surprise for some people, I think, because I really love his current paint scheme and the paint scheme he had last year, the Ally paint scheme. I think, you know, I think a lot of people were very concerned, uh, especially myself, you know, wondering what's the legacy of the 48 going to be, you know, because you're so used to it being sponsored by Lowe's. Seeing yeah. this change is so quickly is going to be hard for some people to process. And I think it, at the first, for me, it was hard to process. But once I saw it, uh, I think a lot of that went away. And Ally has done outstanding jobs of putting together some of the best-looking paint schemes for Jimmy Johnson. So really, yeah. it was hard to pick one Ally paint scheme. So I'm really going with the past two Ally paint schemes because really any version of them is a banger in my eyes. Uh, so I'm, I'm going with... Uh, the ally paint schemes from Jimmy Johnson so far, mainly because you didn't pick them. Uh, and I don't really think many people would, because I don't think people are going to remember Jimmy Johnson as having driven the ally car. I think time and history will, that will probably go to Alex Bowman if he has a long career in that car. But, yeah. um, you know, on all honesty, I think that it, it was a great looking paint scheme. And then finally for my number one, uh, this is going to sound a bit strange because I absolutely love this car. I have a die cast of it. I have a hat of it. And uh, it was a big deal to me when I first saw this. It raced in the 2003 Pepsi 400. It was a SpongeBob SquarePants and Lowe's paint scheme driven by Jimmy Johnson. Uh, he didn't do very well in the race. I think he crashed or something. I can't remember. But uh, it was a paint scheme that I remember so vividly because it was a hyped-up paint scheme, and I'd never seen a paint scheme be hyped up before. And uh, they were celebrating the, this collaboration between Jimmy Johnson and SpongeBob SquarePants. And uh, believe me, in 2003, I was about seven years old. Seven going on eight. So uh, I was a very big SpongeBob fan, as you can imagine. So to see that at the time, that was huge to me to see SpongeBob paint scheme uh, on Jimmy Johnson. And and still to this day, I think it's one of the most aesthetically pleasing paint schemes that Jimmy Johnson has ever driven. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of very uh, pleasing silver on that car. There's a lot of very pleasing blue on that car. And it's got SpongeBob painting with an easel, kind of like Bob Ross almost. Uh, and I, I just love it. I love it. So uh, it's one of my favorite paint schemes of Jimmy Johnson. It probably won't get talked about very much, uh, but it's definitely one that I think people should uh, remember. And if I still go and have the hat, I'll, I'll probably try and find a picture of it because it's a great hat. Uh, I used to wear it to school, actually. I remember wearing it to school quite often, too, in first grade. So, yeah. So, Josh, I'm going to turn it over to you, and I'm going to hear from uh, your – I'm going to – I am I love uh, the – selections you've made here i try to differentiate my selections from yours but i do want to I, I i do think that yours were, were very good selections well yours were great um and, and i'll kind of have a little commentary uh editorializing on one of them later here uh as you probably have already seen but the, my number three is this uh 2092 altel chevrolet it was his rookie season in the bush series um, you know, it was that primarily blue and uh, and white car. It was it wasn't the first Altel car that was ran. I believe that goes to Phil Parsons. I believe he ran the first one in the ten car in the Bush series as well. Um, but it, it's most unique to me compared to what we would later see with Ryan Newman. Um, in in his stint with uh, Penske and 
and what he would run in the 27 in the Arca series and the O2 and then the 12 in the cup and in the 39, even in the, I think the, the, I think he ran the, the 39 Alto car in the uh, Bush series uh, in some later seasons, but I digress. I like this car a lot. Um, I wish I had a die cast of it. Um, it just, to me, I'm like, this is, this is, it's Jimmy Johnson and I don't, I can't even explain it, but it's Jimmy Johnson to me, his first real uh, adventure with NASCAR. So uh, that's why it's where it started. Um, my, my second one is a 2000 and, uh, 2013 and championship winning low Chevrolet. The one that was all blue and had two white racing stripes down the back. He won his second Daytona 500. You know, you mentioned his 2006 lows. This one was a second Daytona 500. He won that everyone thought, oh crap, the last time he won the Daytona 500, he went off and won five championships straight. Well, that didn't happen. He did uh, win the championship that year, which really started the fears going. But uh, I just liked it. it. You know, Lowe's is blue and white to me. So sometimes the other color schemes that they mixed in there didn't always click with me. Um, but this one for sure did. And I liked it. I liked the the white number, which was the first time he'd ever gone with a white number before. Uh, it always been yellow. So that, that to me is what really made that scheme stand out. And then my number one um, – solidifies your fears for your number two at the allies. When I think of Jimmy Johnson, I think of 2002. I think of the 2002 Chevrolet uh, in the Winston cup series that, that he uh, ran his rookie season in that year. He won three races. Um, and we went now, I, I, you know, even though I've seen, you know, all of his, basically all of his races are right, these run. I will forever think when I think of Jimmy Johnson, the thing I'll go to is that Chevrolet Monte Carlo from 2002 in this rookie season. Always will. Won't go to the Ally cars. Won't go to his 06 championship. Won't go to the 09 championship scheme. Won't go to the 10 or the 13 or the 16. It will go to 2002. So I don't know, man. I even I, I remember getting this car when I went to Michigan uh that june and uh i got the racing champions diecast of it and uh the, the 124th scale even so uh yeah that those are my top three uh johnson paint schemes rob i think we all i think we both have good good ones here i liked your ally selection giving allies to do because they do do some great stuff mm-hmm. um on social media and with him and and i do agree that especially since he hasn't had any success really in the allied cars it's all it this is all for Alex Bowman's taking and, and when he takes over the 48 and the ally sponsorship next year. I agree. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, we're gonna move on here. We're gonna quickly go over this week's winners uh, uh of some of the races. Then we're gonna go to the top takeaways. So the conclusion. <laughs> we 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 did the show last week. We didn't know who the winner of Texas was gonna be. Uh we recorded it on a Tuesday, late Tuesday night, early Wednesday morning, and ended up concluding that Wednesday afternoon. Um but Kyle Bush. And he keeps his uh, streak alive of winning at least one race a year for now 16 years straight. So good for him. Thank goodness um, it happened. Yeah, in, you know, you certainly hate to see that because I, I wouldn't – I mean, it's kind of like, what, wow, Jimmy Johnson and Denny Hamlin both went winless in the same year kind of deal. I don't even know what to think about with this with, with Kyle Busch because he's had so much success, and I don't think he's won since this year since Charlotte in May. So it's been a long time since we've seen Kyle Busch in victory lane. Uh, Formula One and Amola, Lewis Hamilton – Won that race, win number 93, uh, and he clinches Mercedes' seventh straight constructors' championship. That's new, that's now a record. 
in, in, in Formula One. Truck Series are Martinsville Grant Infinger. It's his fourth win of the season and tripling his total career amount. He now has six career wins, four of them coming this year. It's crazy to think about, but he's had a really good truck compared to last year. Uh, last year just consistent. Now he's winning. Uh, Xfinity Series at Martinsville, their first race there since 2006. Harrison Burton goes back-to-back in his young uh, Xfinity Series career for the first time after winning at Texas last Saturday. That seems like a long time ago compared to when the Cup race was ran. And then Martinsville, Chase Elliott, 10th career Cup Series win, becomes the 62nd driver to reach 10 uh, wins in the at least 10 wins in the Cup Series. Uh, there have been 195 total winners in the Cup Series, and 62 of them have 10 or more wins. Uh, by the way, he has now the same amount of wins as Clint Boyer. Just thought I'd throw that out there. He, Boyer's got 10 wins. So. And Boyer's retiring. So and Boyer's uh, retiring. I after think we know the quality of Chase Elliott. Yeah, exactly. And anybody asking, is Boyer a Hall of Famer? Come on, just get out of here. The only, yeah, the only thing he's got to his name, he's got a Bush Series champion, nationwide championship, I should say. But, you know, Bush Series, ex- nationwide Xfinity, it's all the same series. He's got a AAA championship so does, in NASCAR. So does Chase um, Elliott. I don't understand. So does Chase Elliott. You're right. Uh, but uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens about that in a few years here. Nail Jr.'s uh, got two. You get two, then I think it's you, you earn it. That's fair. But when no, one, when no one else, there's no one else that has more than two in the nationwide series. This is for a debate for another time. I think this is okay. a. This is a topic idea for later. Um, I think so Junior topic, doing it in his first season, though, was the most impressive thing. First full what season. Was, what was that? I think Ju- I, I Okay, look. People, and, and I'll say this. This is the last thing I'm going to say about it. Is okay. People give, give Junior a lot of crap. They say, you know, he didn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame or whatever. And yeah. the thing about it is is he does because when I, don't know, when I bring up those two Trinity uh, championships that he won, is he did that. He won that first one. And what was at the time his first full season behind yep. the wheel of an actual stock car? He'd been racing nothing but late models prior. So the first right. time he gets out there on big tracks, and at the time there were more short tracks, but on mostly big tracks, he went out there and he won himself a championship. Not just did that one, not just once, but then twice, and then went out there and st- proceeded to win. Now, should he have won 2014? Mm-hmm. Because uh, we didn't talk about this last week. Well, I mean, we did, but you know, should he have won 2004? Yeah, he should have. I said 2014. I shouldn't have said that. I was wrong. Should he have won 2004? Yes, absolutely. I think if he won 2004 championship, I think everybody would have been absolutely he's a Hall of Famer. But because he didn't win 2004, I think that's why people so don't don't give him that that benefit of the doubt like I do. But anyway, we're going to go on to Cup of Texas now. Yeah. Well, we're just going to really breeze, breeze over this because so much has happened and we already have a, a eclipsed basically the one-third right? mark of the show. Um, but uh, something that really came into play later on at Martinsville, at the end of that race, was a 20-point penalty for Martin Truex Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a really – that was a bad deal. And then you had Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin both had bad days. Kevin Harvick's days went sideways when he hit a wet spot. NASCAR, should they restart the race? Yes or no? It wasn't on the radar. Does the show get going to stay? These things happen. And he hit the wall, and he kind of paid for it the rest of the day. Uh, and then uh, the race – yeah, The race was a race. The race was a race. It will. It will. It has a spot in racing reference. Um, so therefore, it's official. It happened. Um, race happened, but went on too long. It, again, yeah. The thing, you know, we can for sure. We've talked about this before. I don't think any race should be over 400 miles, with the exception of uh, the Southern 500, the Daytona 500, and the Coca-Cola 600. Those should all be. Those are marquee. Crown Jewel, you know, whatever you whatever label you're gonna put on, those are marquee 
races. Okay. Texas isn't. Um, and when you have a track that in a package and a tire that don't mix, it's like, it's like mixing oil and water. It doesn't go very well. Um, it just turned into a very, very long race. And, uh, by the way, just so you y'all, y'all know how I feel. Yes, I am saying both Talladega races should be 400 miles. Um, really? You're cutting out 100 miles of single file racing or racing that's being conservative. I'm being serious on that. Um, but yeah, this race again, I think if only I would, again, I've said this before on the show, I, I would love to see Texas in its current form, put a small spoiler on it. See, we'll see what happens. You know? Yeah. You know, that'd be great. I think even with the 550 horsepower, put a small spoiler on it and see what the heck the cars do. I, I don't think that's big, that big of an ask. Um, because we, you look at the Xfinity series, we talked about it was a relatively good race for the Xfinity series, despite it being on a track that used to pr- produce great racing. And now you have to hit the right spot to pass. Um, unless you're Noah Graxon and Harrison Burton and something happens to your car on the exit of turn four. Um, and you suddenly give up seven tens, but, uh, yeah. And then the race comes down to fuel mileage. You know, Kyle Busch, that's not something he's known for. And yeah, he did it. And uh, great coaching every lap from his both his spotter and then his uh, uh, crew chief telling him what Marks needs to hit, reminding constantly reminders. And Mark Truex Jr.'s team saying he's going to run out. He's going to run out. He's going to run out. And then eventually comes to, I don't think he's going to run out. And uh, then you had Christopher Bell. I think there's a lot of people. I want to point this out because I don't know how many people know this. Christopher Bell did have a very fast car there at the end. I think he. Re- used up a little bit of his tires. And then when he caught Martin, he just couldn't pass him. But how cool would it have been to see Christopher Bell, you know, play spoiler to both Martin Truex, Toyota teammate and future direct teammate. And then Kyle Busch, who's trying to go for the win, going for his first one this season in future Toyota uh, team teammate. Um, but giving Levine family racing their first NASCAR win at their home track. Yeah, how cool would that be? And let alone a throwback paint scheme to their first cup car in 12. Talk about that, that, that just little Cinderella story in the playoffs. Um, you know, Kyle Busch obviously ended up playing spoiler to his teammate, but they, that would just, that would just been so cool. And I would, I found myself cheering for Christopher Bell, like get this done, you know, get, get everyone out of the line that, that win that, that they've tried so hard to do. And because of COVID they're, they're not going to be able to get. Um, so yeah, that's, that's just, that was a little disappointing there, but congratulations to Cowboys. As we said, you know, getting that win and, and get, continuing that streak of wins there, Rob, uh, any commentary on that one? You know, I think uh, you were right. I think it would have been interesting to see Christopher Bell win that thing, but you know, P3 and your home, your home track and what is essentially going to be your final race there as a team. I think, you know, Levine family race, it has absolutely nothing to uh, shy away from because let's be honest, you, they started, look at where they started. Yeah. Third place was never going to have, was probably a pipe dream back when they started, you know, right. and now they've got, they're, they're essentially finishing uh, their run as a NASCAR cup team and with a third place run at their home track. And, you know, I think if I'm Bob Levine, I think I'm going to go look back at my race team and say, no, we didn't win a championship. No, we didn't win a, a race. But, you know, we, we 
built the team up from what is, was essentially a start and part team into a team that was contending for wins at the very end. Uh, and I think that's really important, really cool. It was really cool to see uh, Christopher Bell pull off that third place. I think even if he had, I think the fact, even if he had won, it would have been cool. But I, I think even the fact that he didn't win is, is fine too. I think third, the fact that he just finished in the top five is a big deal. Um, as for Kyle Busch, I'm glad to see him finally get that monkey off his back. I did not want to see him go into 2021 without having won a race. I was going to be really disappointed to see that because I think he has a very large legacy. And I think that his win streak is definitely going to, uh, you know, contribute to that legacy. So I'm very happy to see that. As for the racing overall, I thought, you know, a fuel mileage race, fuel mileage race, they could be exciting. Uh, but, uh, you know, here it just seemed like, you know, again, package is wrong. I think what you said earlier was a small blade probably would have uh, fixed it. I thought, you know, it looked like cooler temperatures and a bit, a bit of the humidity a little bit down there in Texas was um, – the race was a little bit better than I had expected it to be, but not by much. Uh, but still, overall, it was uh, it was a race that happened, and uh, the Xfinity race was far better, far superior. Uh, and I'll say that in every sense of the way. Still, uh, but you know, hey, Cup Cup did what they could in front of a few fans, I guess. And um, you know, those few fans that did, I guess Eddie Gossage said that uh, they were going to get pit passes to the All Star race next year, and then so, NASCAR upped it and said they're all going to get hot passes. Oh, hot passes even. Yeah. I can't even get a hot pass when I cover a NASCAR race. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I think that that, that just shows the kind of person, the kind of promoter Eddie Gossage is, and then NASCAR like, oh, well, let's jump in on this too. You they know, always so. give me a cold pass. I don't understand. That is a little weird. Like I've literally signed a waiver at IMS before so that I could get hot passes, and I still get cold passes every time it goes through NASCAR. I could get an I, I can get an IndyCar hot pass, but I can't get a NASCAR hot pass, and I never understood that. I have heard they're a little stricter. Yeah, I think they are. Yeah. So. Well, with Formula One, um, I thought these were kind of cool notes here that they shared at the beginning, and, and I and I kind of thought about this earlier, way back when they announced it, but I didn't I didn't think about it. This was the 100th Formula One championship race in Italy. Okay. Uh, kind of a poor 100th race, but and it was only the second time a single country has hosted three Grand Prix. Rob, did you know that the 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 country who had hosted three before you saw it on the paper yeah i knew it was the united states so they okay. long beach uh where was it uh, detroit and caesar's detroit palace. and and caesar's palace yep yeah caesar's palace detroit. season finale race that that caesar's uh, palace yeah. was probably the worst track ever made in the history of anything yeah uh detroit was detroit probably long beach was probably the best race they had in that season that's the interesting thing about that too is all three were street courses yep so Wow, that that still blows my mind. It, it's really always baffles me why they they want Formula One management has always gone towards street courses uh, for hosting the U.S. Grand Prix, and only recently did they decide to actually host it on permanent uh, permanent racetracks like IMS and Coda uh, that were actually had to be reconfigured or or in Coda's case entirely built for Formula One. Uh, and, and those races are, those race tracks at the very least have been considered to be some of the best in this, in the whole country. And yet they were racing at Caesar's palace for reasons I can't understand when they could have just invested money into a better racetrack. I, I, I don't know, man, but yeah, I, I did know that it was pretty interesting. So yeah, great, great for Italy. I mean, and they have proven Italy has proven that they do have 
three outstanding racetracks and San- I mean, of course, Imola is a great track. Uh, but I really, I think, I think personally for me, as much as I enjoyed this race at Imola, um, I think personally for me, the race in uh, at um, Mugello was a little bit more entertaining for me. And I'll give you, I'll, I'll explain that in a little bit. I liked the long DRS zone. No, go ahead. Go ahead and g- explain. Go ahead. Yeah, I'll. I'll. I'll I like the long DRS zone at, at uh, in Portugal, um, but I felt like San Marino didn't necessarily have a very long DRS zone, uh, and, and I think the passing zone that it emptied into was not necessarily one of the best passing zones. Whereas at a place like Mugello, where you have a long, long passing zone, uh, long, long front straightaway, long, long DRS zone allows for a lot of passing, and then it allows for tight contested corners. Um, so that's why I like I enjoyed watching uh, that version of an Italian race. So if Formula One decides, let's say hypothetically, and then they're not going to do this because clearly they like going to uh, obscure nations that don't really have much of a racing background. But uh, if they are going to go to another uh, Italian race, I would prefer the Tuscan Grand Prix uh, over Imola. And I, I think that might be sacrilegious to say for some people. I, but I, I think Imola was better suited, perhaps, for uh, the older Formula 1 cars. And now with these high downforce monsters, I just am not so sure Imola is the uh, track that it once was. I think it was a little bit harder to pass this weekend than I think it used to be in the past, even with that DRS zone in on the front stretch. I was going to say the same thing. I went, You told me on the show, or I think it was during the show, um, go back and watch F2 or F3 races, whatever it was at Mugello. And I did, I changed my opinion on Mugello. I don't think I've told you that. Definitely. No, I haven't heard that. So I'm glad you, you did go back and watch those races because they were outstanding races. They were great. Mugello certainly deserves another shot mm-hmm. at an F1 race in the future. And I was, I was thinking the exact same thing. You took the words out of my mouth. These cars in the high downforce do not suit F1 at Amola today. If you give me 1991, there's plenty of, there's plenty of guys, uh, I think it might be the same count or similar count run, but you see graphics, uh, whether it be picture, uh, a GIF or video of, of the evolution of F1 cars. Today's car just doesn't suit Amola. It's too big. Mm-hmm. It's too big in general. Um, and then when you can't pass, cause you have so much downforce, it can't get a run. You got it. You have to really heavily rely on that DRS zone. And then you have to really Stick with it behind the car in front of you. It was like watching the cup race at Kansas a few weeks ago. Yeah, I can catch almost. You. Yeah, I would say so. I can catch you. I can't pass you. And 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 that 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 was rough to watch because I agree with 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 Hamilton. The, the place is beautiful. The circuit is beautiful, but the racing was boring. I was mm-hmm. I was honestly there was a few. Yeah, I'm excited. What they needed was about 17 restarts. um in in that race i was excited for during the restarts but once it got to the to the to the race uh, you know into a run i was like this is this isn't good this was just a calendar filler race that's what we're going to classify this as unfortunately and um uh i hate to say that hamilton was was right on this front i was hoping he's going to be wrong but he was right and uh um, other than, you know, he had a few exciting moments. It didn't look like maybe Botas was going to win there until Hamilton decided to stay out and get catches the safety car. Everyone thought, oh crap, he's in trouble. Um, cause he couldn't, he did, he wasn't able to hit, uh, pit lane in time. Then he boxed the next lap. Um, and was still able to maintain the lead. Um, and then you had the, uh, Verstappen 
failure, which I thought something else dra- drastically broke, but I think I agree. It, it was a tire failure. Um, then you had Albin spin, and uh, poor George Russell. Oh, oh I'm so God. sorry. Uh, I mean, he, so first off, he has watched highlight video. Do you want to know why? He why? Kept, he kept the helmet on. I would not be surprised 20 years from now when we're reading George Russell's book about F1 that uh, maybe it'll be a little bit longer than 20 years. But when we read his book about his time in F1 and racing, he says, I was crying underneath that helmet and he didn't want to be like Mika Hakkinen and have the world watching you cry with your helmet off. Because darn it, he was good. I think he was going to get points. I think he had points. And I don't know if he's going to get another shot. I mean, he needs to be – it's not going to rain in the Middle East. He needs to hope it prays in Turkey, uh, that it rains in Turkey and that uh, um, the Williams strategy can pull out uh, something out. They had to, you know, get a, a, a top 10, top 9, top 8, top eight finish um, from that, from a rain there. Otherwise, I think Williams going to have a goose egg this year. I think you might be right. I think it's going to be really tough for George Russell to actually, uh, you know, nail down – that points finish. I think it, it. He's coming so close, though. So close. He's coming so close. I think. It, it, but again, both Alfa Romeo scored double points. Yeah. So I think anything's anything's possible. Right. Uh, one last note here. I thought this was interesting. I did not know this um, until the broadcast team said it. Um, but uh, Hamilton did. It's his seventy-second win with Mercedes. That does tie Michael Schumacher for most wins with one constructor. So really, really, Hamilton is just this year is all about Hamilton just destroying Schumacher's record. Records, all of them. I mean, how many of them are falling? Holy cow! Yeah, it's um, it's a wild season uh, on that one. Um, twenty twenty, everyone. Um, it was going to happen. You had twenty two races on the original calendar. Now he's got uh, seventeen. But you know, crazy, crazy. Let's go to the truck race now because I have a beef. Okay, you got a beef with the truck series, and I want to hear what your beef was. Because I was watching the truck race, uh, because thankfully I'm not doing Friday Night Live at work anymore, so I actually had time to sit there and watch truck race as I was doing my work. Um, And it seemed like to me there was a lot of downtime, Josh. Yes, there was a lot of downtime. I just, I heard about it. I was at work on Friday night, so I wasn't able to watch the race live. But I heard about it, and I'm like, please tell me this is false. This is just a couple people on, on social media freaking out. But when I go and watch the race, I didn't even look at racing reference. I knew who won. I knew who advanced to the championship for. But when I see that 82 laps of that 200-lap race run out of caution, that's, a, that's an average. Uh, there's 11 cautions. That's, a, that's an average of seven laps per caution, or more than, more than seven. Mm-hmm. What in the heck is going on? Car spins. Yeah, the car spins. That should be a quickie yellow. I mean – especially on a restart, pick up the leader within one lap. I mean, this I know it's Martinsville, and it, things are tight there. Confusion, you have drivers who really aren't used to the to the circuit, or you just have guys who have, I don't want to call it less, it's not less talent, but just have less experience, and, and, and their mind doesn't work. You see lo- more, more organization when it comes to the cup side and even the Xfinity side even. But this was ridiculous. Re- Ridiculous! It just seemed like because I was I was I was having to watch the race on the on the on the posted NASCAR stream uh, on YouTube. So when you go to commercial, it's just camera angles everywhere and it's quiet. There's no sound, or you maybe are hearing an engine engine rumble. Like there is way too much downtime here. Mm-hmm. What is going on? And um, if this is going to continue on, and then you had before I go on, then you had 
Um, no time to talk to everyone. You had time to talk to Grant Infinger. But hold on a second. We just had four guys eliminated from the championship. And you're cutting to a uh, uh, Hawaii and was it Wyoming game? I mean, come on, folks. You got you just had people whose championships were were crushed. Okay, Crafton, uh, you were able to talk to Hill because he had a failure. But then you had uh, Ankrum and Rhodes. They're done. Their season, you know, they're going to race next weekend. But their chance to win a championship is over. Then you have Zane Smith who who just beats Crafton to the line um, because Infinger's leading. He's got to be ahead of Crafton. They tie in points. It, it doesn't work out for him. Um, and then. Uh, who's the other guy? Mark Creed's moving on, obviously. But talk to these guys. We said we get a really quick interview with Grant Infinger, and that was it. We got a a at Martinsville next year. We got to extend the race length to 250 laps to build in this BS TV commercial time, and then you got to have a longer TV window. I'm tired of seeing um, tweets from from people at the track or people uh, watching from home where they get notifications. Hey, when the race is over, we want to talk to the winner, and then we're done. We're moving. We're leaving. And then I'm tired of these long, these short races. Martinsville's a short race that is ex- it is essentially being dominated by cautions. And I mean, whoever was running the pace car of that race led the most laps. Okay, if it was Kip Childress, congratulations, Kip Childress! Another race this year, you have led the most laps. Oh, that was frustrating. It was a great race when those green Thor Sport yeah. was on over everyone. Um, but it was a great race, but too much of it was under caution. So that that's that's my beef about that. Um, and then uh, yeah, it was a great great championship battle. Um, you know, there for the race. We as we, it's kind of going to be a theme here, particularly with the cup. We got exactly what we wanted with Martinsville. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think you know, in terms of the truck race, like you were talking about, I think Crafton uh, was uh, right, and when he said it was a bit ridiculous that you know his attempt to run for a championship, he didn't have any time to race for a championship. Yeah, you know, I do. Do I? Th- I absolutely think that Crafton probably could, probably wanted a lot of those laps that were run under yellow. Uh, he probably wanted a lot of those to be green so that he had more opportunities to pass drivers and uh, gain more points. Maybe gains more stage points as well because that's always important. We we see how much stage points end up mattering, uh, mm-hmm. especially during the championship when mm-hmm. you're on a cut race. How much stage points matter? Uh, you want to grab those stage points as much as you can. Uh, and I think Crampton probably feels like there were opportunities for him to potentially advance to the next round, and they were caught the, the, the cautions cost him and i think he's right i think he has a he's a right to be a little bit upset a bit at that because i think there were a lot of situations where there were single car spins and like you said they were just taken way too long under caution and there's no reason like there's no reason for that there's absolutely no reason for that um nascar needs to do better uh because that's that's just unacceptable you don't you, no other racing series runs that long under caution nobody wants to run that long under caution no race fan wants to see it no, especially no fan in the stand wants to see it. You want to be back to green flag racing as soon as possible. No yeah. race driver wants to see it unless, unless, unless they are close on fuel. Um, and even then, that can be that can depend on a lot of things, a lot of factors. If they don't have the track position they want, yeah. Uh, you know, there's a lot of situations that that's just annoying. Um, so I think it's annoying to drivers, it's annoying to teams, it's annoying to fans, and NASCAR needs to fix fix that because that's that's that was unacceptable what we saw on Friday. And, uh, and, oh, just to, you know, just it was a good win for Enfinger, but at the same time, I think his teammate had a had an opportunity to slot his himself into where Enfinger took, and 
I frankly, I think Crafton was robbed of that opportunity. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think uh, he could have got around Zane Smith. He just ran out of laps. I'll editorialize for a second too uh, on my on my on my behalf. If this is the Cup Series in a 500 lap race, and you have, um, uh, you know, that amount of time, and those the same the same amount of caution, same amount of laps run, that's okay. But this short of a race, it's it, to me it's inexcusable. Like, like you said, you're robbed of laps. So I think the only solution is to lengthen the race. So if this is going to be the norm in this series, you got to give those guys more opportunities to, to, to pass and into, into race. And, and especially if you think that the Chrome horn is going to be used like it did, like it was, I mean, there's just, there was a lot of short tempers out there this week or, or short uh, fuses this week, not tempers necessarily, but fuses on, okay, there you go. I mean, uh, wasn't it Ekis who booted Hosevar? Yeah. I mean, he, he, he gave Hosevar no warning. Boom. Out of the way. And um, that's a caution. So, yeah, again, that was a great truck race um, when it was green. Mm-hmm. Um, Rob, what about when, the Xfinity Series? What do you think? I thought the Xfinity Series was pretty good, uh, actually. I really – I like the idea of the Xfinity Series going to Martinsville, uh, but two races I didn't expect. I think it's interesting when they have one race here, especially being a cut race. I think that made it very uh, – a lot more exciting uh, for me personally. Um, and you know, it was interesting, uh, to see some of the, uh, outcomes here. Um, it was definitely a tough, uh, race there to, for, for everybody involved. A lot of those guys, because so many people did not have experience there or had not run there for a number of years. Right. Uh, so I was impressed with Harrison Burton, just pretty much saying, all right, if you guys are going to take forever to learn how to do this, uh, for, to learn how to run, run here, I'm just going to pass all you and take this win. And uh, Harrison Burton, this is the thing that's so interesting, is it took him until getting eliminated to finally start winning. So uh-huh. I think uh, the interesting thing about that here is I think uh, Harrison Burton has a bright future ahead of him. And I've said that for a long time. I do think he has a bright future ahead of him. Uh, but I think that uh, what we're ultimately seeing here is um, somebody who needs to get a little bit more consistent throughout the season. Because I think the big thing that you need to understand about this playoffs is – People complain all the time, and we'll talk about this in a little bit. We'll talk about this in a little bit, but people uh, say a lot that uh, this new chase format, this new playoff format, it doesn't allow for consistency. I disagree wholeheartedly because I think this is a situation where the most consistent driver all year is winning the championship because you have to be consistent all year to make it to the tra- to the playoffs. Then you have to be that same level of consistent all throughout the se- the, the preceding rounds of the playoffs. If you if you could be if you essentially saying if you could be consistent through 26 races and finish for the most part you know within the top 15, then you can do the same exact thing over the next 10. You know, and I think this is a situation where Harrison is a little bit young. He doesn't get that yet, but he'll get it. He's got two wins now. He's got what three wins now under his belt uh, in the Xfinity Four Series. Wins. Four wins. Four wins. Four wins. Excuse me. I'm, I, I was counting them short on one. But he's got four wins now in the Xfinity Series. And let me tell you something. I, I think this is somebody who people doubted because of his truck series performance. But quite honestly, he's been impressing. So he's been so impressive this Xfinity season. Uh, and I, I don't think anybody pegged him for having four wins. I know I didn't. I didn't expect him to get uh, four wins, let alone two wins. So I got to say, uh, it was it was good Xfinity Series race. There was a lot of beating and banging. There was a lot of uh, bumpers. Uh, shot. It was a great, great cutoff race. It was the kind of racing that should be had. 
And, uh, you know, the Xfinity Series, again, is still the pinnacle of NASCAR racing right now. Uh, so I had absolute, I had a blast watching this race. Uh, it was a lot more fun, I'll be honest with you, I think, than watching the cup race. Even so, with the drama, with the playoff, and the playoff drama especially, because you had a spoiler in this, Harrison Burton winning, uh, and you didn't have a spoiler in the cup series. You didn't have a spoiler in the truck series. Uh, you did not have somebody who essentially walked in, who was eliminated from the playoffs and won the race, essentially making it difficult for other drivers to um, make it through. So, yeah, I just thought it was an interesting thing. I think the Xfinity Championship is going to be really, really interesting. I'm really looking forward to it this weekend. And that's really all I have to say about the Xfinity race. I think it was a good race. And uh, what do you? Do, I don't know if you have anything to say about it or if you want to go ahead and move on to Cup because uh, I think we're at about an hour mark here. So. Yeah, we're about at an hour mark. I'll just say I enjoyed it. I'm, I'm glad Martinsville's getting back. Uh, you know, uh, I think it was a good addition to take away a race from Richmond and give it to Martinsville. I think it was good. I mean, it's a great, great place to end people's hopes, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because uh, it, it gives you what stock car racing was really built on. And and I love that. Um, Harrison Burton playing spoiler. I think I've said before, you know, he just doesn't get the trucks very well. He got, we saw his Xfinity series performances last year. Like he's going to do better in Xfinity. I didn't expect him to get four wins, but I certainly expected him to win a race or two. Um, and then, yeah, the consistency deal, he'll learn that's his first year. Uh, he's going up against a lot of veterans in the playoffs, um, even against Ryan Seek. I think Ryan Seek had stuff on him where I think Harrison Burton, they just lost a step or two as a, as the summer progressed on. And then now they found it back where there's no pressure, uh, you know, to go out there and win in advance. Um, certainly it's a bummer that he's out because now he's got two wins. He'd be running for the championship for. Um, but it's good to see AJ Allmendinger. I, I really think we're going to see him full time with Colleg next year. I, I think it's going to happen. And this is just kind of a preview of that. Um, and, and he runs well, you know, it's just great to see AJ Alvinninger running well. He's a great personality. So this shame about he had a cut tire. I think he's like the only person you could go toe to toe with Harrison Burton. Um, and that, that even being said that Dustin Allgaier had a good, good car too. So, um, yeah, I was moving on to cup here. Well, from the start, the tone was set. Yep, I mean, Lowski moved someone out of the way, and it was, a, and it was, and it was a fellow playoff driver. You it, have to move people out of the way here because it's so hard to pass already. Yeah, I, I think it was easy. I think the, I think this race was better than last year. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I agree or totally disagree with you on about that. That's that the Cup race was was worse, or the Xfinity series was better than the than the Cup. I thought they were both solid races because you, you, you know, you had the seven fifty. Low downforce package. Um, it just it's just a longer race, so mm-hmm. more time to relax. I think that that's part of it too. But it was only it was it didn't feel like three hours and forty five minutes uh, to me. I think it was around the total race time there. It didn't feel like that at all. Um, but I love that there was drama because I'm like, wait, very quickly, I'm like, where's Harvick? And he's back there in the back. Harvick, uh, then Hamlin has an issue. He has to go to the back because of uh, uh, not enough lug nuts were tied on the car, so they brought him back down pit road. So you didn't have the issue that happened to Martin Truex Jr. late in that race. Um, and, and, and then you kind of had Chase and Truex were the dominant cars, and it was kind of going to be like, okay, who can survive the transition from day to night? Who can make the right adjustments? Who can have the right tires on? Because I think we even saw where there's some tires that didn't, behave right with one car but the next set of tires of the car was better again um but uh where this whole thing took a turn and i think 
will be looked at as if Chase wins the championship, the MVP of this year is the Jackman. Right? Mm-hmm. First off, heads up move. And you know, going into next year and, and every, even this week, the crew members are going to be told, read the rule book. Know, know the rules and the how to get out of them, you know? Because he had the heads up, heads up idea that, that he knew I can get back on the wall and reset my position. Even Steve Latard didn't know that mm-hmm. he could do that. And because this has never happened before, and the way there were so many rules in NASCAR written, the gray area, they had to make a call. And the way the rule was written, he did it right. He reestablished his position, put the foot on the wall. I mean, it ultimately cost it. I mean, it's a self-policing penalty at that point, even, because you're going to lose position because the first four or five seconds were spent him getting the wall and walking back around. And mm-hmm. he lost uh, about 10 positions on that pit, pit cycle. But it could have been worse. He could have been starting at the back of the field. And I don't think he gets back up there. And I think Truex wins this. Well, Truex might stay out and win the race. And uh, it should should the rest of the race play out for him as it as it as it actually unfolded. So you don't have Chase in the championship for at that point. I I, I think I, I'm buying a steak dinner for him right now. But it, I, <laughs> I if Chase wins the championship. This is this is the turning point of the season. I think it was. I think it definitely was a turning point in the season for pretty much a lot of people. Uh, it was really the seat. It was a situation where it came down to was I think there's. It always comes down to that last cutoff race where yeah. the the round of eight drops down to that to the championship four, and you you ask yourself. I feel like drivers are asking themselves every single time they they get to that point is, you know, where was there a period of time throughout this this year where I could have passed one car or where, where, you know, where, where was there a period of time where we gambled on pit strategy where we really didn't need to, you know, and it's hindsight 2020 thing. And that, that kind of stuff always comes into the conversation when you start talking about that, because really it comes down to points and positions in in, in debating this. And, and I feel like, you know, we're going to, we're going to probably debate this a little bit longer, but Josh, if you want to, now that we're kind of done with talking about the cup race, um, Maybe we can, uh, but I feel like you know the playoff system worked out in this situation. I mean, look, man, the fact of the matter is, you don't want to be a, a racing series in NASCAR that is really trying to appeal to as broad of an audience as it can, and you have the the, the problem that's been ex- around since for a long time that you don't want to declare a champion with 10 races left to go in the season. If at all possible, you don't want to ch- declare a champion until the checkered flag falls on that final race. Right. Uh, and, you know, NASCAR has made its bed in this decision, and it's made its bed in this for six years now, and we've been deciding the champion this way multiple times, and every single time, except for probably the exception of this year, it's been the driver that has been the most deserving, the most consistent. Well, in my, in my opinion, I look at it this way, and I said it earlier. I said it earlier about Harrison Burton. I said, say, I'll say it now about Kevin Harvick getting eliminated from the playoffs. I say, dude, if you were con- that consistent through the course of 35 races, or excuse me, not the course of 35 races, for course, the course of 32 races, to make it to where you were, and you were unable to be consistent, that level, same level of consistent through the final three races, 
I think that's on you. I think that's on you. When you know that the chips are against you, you can't just lay back and decide, okay, I'm going to you know, not run because you got to be still running your hardest. And I think Harvick in this situation needs to be looking back and think, okay, well, where did we go wrong? Where did we go wrong in all these different places? He got a lap down early, uh, but he came back. He worked really hard, and he spent most of the race trying to get his lap back, and that put him behind the eight ball a little bit. But there were times where he was like a point out or a point or two out mm-hmm. where it could have gone either way for him. You know, yeah. and at that point, if you're talking about somebody who's won nine races, you would think that somebody who's won nine races would have the more playoff points for having won more stages, or at the very least, would have been more consistent during those uh, prior two races in grabbing stage points. You know, those are the things that you got to do. You can't just you can't just not do them. I mean, I understand having one bad race. That's one thing, but you still got to be trying your hardest in the next two. And if you can't do that, then you know you got to ask yourself, well, where what happened? You know, why did we fall off this hard? Why did we fall off this hard? What were we doing differently that we were doing the whole rest of the season that we're not doing now? I mean, I understand why people are upset. People are going to be mad because the most dominant car of the season did not win the championship. But people were mad several years ago when Jimmy Johnson was winning, and he was the most dominant car of the season. Yeah. You know, so what do you – I mean, do you want the most dominant car of the season to win, or do you want the most consistent car of the season to win? And quite frankly, I, I I understand that Kevin Harvick won nine races, but you can win a whole ton of races and still not win the championship. It's happened before in multiple different racing series before. If you're not consistent enough, you don't get to the finish. You don't get to win the title. It's all about consistency. And the NASCAR playoff title right now, as it is, rewards consistency more so than I think any other playoff format in the in the entire world. Now, that's not to say that I'm I'm a yes man for NASCAR or something. I criticize this this. Uh, all the time. I I thought when it first came out, I thought it was stupid. But after the last six years and seeing championships be decided this way, I prefer. It. I think it's more fair. I think it guarantees that four guys are going to go for a play, go for a championship every single year. And I think ultimately, with the inclusion of stage points in 2017, it really, really made me more happy about it. Actually, stage points coming along really made me love the playoff system because at that point, you were for sure rewarding. Uh, consistency you weren't you weren't just going into each next round with a clean slate and having it kind of be a wild card you got those playoff points were going to carry over into the next round and i feel like that happening that happening has then allowed for more consistent drivers to make it further in the rounds and i think in the situation harvick you just didn't win earn enough playoff points in the round of eight and you needed to earn those playoff points and those stage points in order to get there and unfortunately, you just didn't do that. Whereas other drivers, the drivers that did advance, were able to do that. Especially Chase Elliott, Joey Logano having won races, but then Hamlin Keselowski having consistent runs as well. If you're Kevin Harvick and you have nine race wins, and you're telling me you can't win a stage at the very least in the final three in, in the round of eight, I think you got a bigger problem there. So that's where I'm going to say that's all I'm going to say about the, the the championship and Kevin Harvick and the race about Martinsville. Josh, if you have anything to add, I'd like to hear it. But if not, we can just go straight in and look at where we were right and wrong well i'll save mine uh for the upshift downshift then um so where we're robin really were right and wrong here so we're going to just review who, who our championship four picks were so starting with the truck series um creed uh sheldon creed brett moffitt zane smith and grand Finger are the four guys in the championship rob you got two right you picked uh sheldon creed and grant ingfinger 
but you also picked Hill and Kraft, and obviously they got eliminated here. Um, well, to be my in, in my honest opinion, Hill and Crafton were not actually technically eliminated until Martinsville. So yeah, you're right. You're right. That, that that's so true. I mean, but they were still know. in it until really the last lap at Martinsville. Even Hill was mathematically still in it. Yes. Until the end of the race, or until a few laps left in the race, where you know, okay, can this guy get enough laps down, and for 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 me to make up enough points, or him to lose enough points for me to make it up? Yeah, he was still mathematically there. What you wasn't you were overly wrong. I mean, it goes back to that March Madness thing. Hey, I was right until forty seconds left when this team scored six points and then hit a two pointer in the last second to win by one point. Right. I was right. It's the same deal, you know. I, 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 you know, you can you can predict things, but then there's the the matter of the unknown and yeah. unknowns always throw themselves in there. And that's the thing about unknowns is that they're not predictable. Yeah. And I picked Zane Smith, Sheldon Creed, and, and if you're going to move on, I, I too picked Hill, but Rob, unfortunately your championship pick Hill is eliminated. My mm-hmm. pick Zane Smith is still alive. So, you know, we, I think last year you got, you, you were right. Yeah. You had the other way around. Uh, I got my guy eliminated early um, in the Xfinity series. It's it's uh, Chase Briscoe, Austin Sindrick, Justin Haley, and Justin Allgaier who will be going for the championship. Rob, we got three out of the four. We all got Sindrick, Briscoe, and Allgaier right. However, you picked Brandon Jones to move on, and I picked Ross Chastain to move on. In this situation, we are right, both yeah. still, still very good. You, Our picks are still alive. You picked Briscoe, and I picked Sindrick to win the championship. So, you know, again, you know, but Brandon Jones, you know, you talk about a guy just didn't have a good round of, of – uh, Good round of eight, and then Chastain. I can boil his down to he just didn't have enough playoff points. He didn't win races this year. He didn't and, win races, and he didn't win stages. Yeah, he he won three or four stages this year. Uh, one of them did come at Martinsville, but you know it's going to come down to I think him. He might review this as dang it. This is a lost season. I and, and pushing too hard, and, and but Jones just didn't. He just he won three or four races this year, but he just didn't come down to. The round of eight, similar to Kevin Harvick, didn't perform, didn't didn't get it done. And in the Cup Series, it's it's Joey Logano, Chase Elliott, Denny Hamlin, Brad Keselowski. We uh, we both got two right. Um, Rob, you picked Joey Logano, Kevin Harvick, Martin Truex Jr., and Denny Hamlin. Obviously, you got Logano and Hamlin right. I picked Denny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick, Chase Elliott, and Martin Truex. Obviously, I got Hamlin and Elliott right, but my guys eliminated. I picked Harvick to win the championship. You picked Denny. Um, you know, so we, we we both we both won and lost on this one. We were split. We split it there uh, for now. You know, it was interesting to see who actually wins these championships. But I think it just shows, you know, again, like you're saying, it, it it's about consistency. You know, we can guess. But I think this is what makes it a little more exciting. You know, back in 2001, we couldn't. There was no bracket. You can't have fun with this. Um, and I think that's also kind of the appeal. Like they also NASCAR guy, right? You can get more fan engagement on this one too. So it's going to be see. It's going to be fun to see where we really were right. Does Zane Smith win the uh, championship in the Truck Series? Is, is it Briscoe or, or Cindric in the Xfinity Series, or is this one of the other two guys? And then you know, do, do you get Hamlin right? Does the second most consistent guy or, or second most wins guy win the Cup Championship? And how does he win it? Here's the here's the sad part for Harvick fans and Kevin Harvick. He can go out there and win Phoenix. Mm-hmm. He really <laughs> could. Every single championship in the Cup Series since 14, the final race has been won by a playoff driver. Uh, they won the championship four. 
and and this year I think is the best shot not to have that happen. And I think Kevin Harvick could 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 play spoiler and then like oh crap we're going for second. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you finish as long as you're ahead of the other three. Mm-hmm. So um, it's going to be fun to watch um, for sure. It's been a fun playoffs to, to to one kind of play along and see how this goes, but also just in general it's been fun. Um, Rob, your your outstanding performance this week. Let's move on quickly here. Who who do you have? Yeah, so I am going to go ahead and give a shout out to the fourth place finisher in the Emilio Romagna Romagna uh, Grand Prix, which was Danny Cafiat. Uh, drove up at an absolutely outstanding restart. Drove all the way up to fourth. Uh, I talked about earlier in the show that Danny Cafiat is probably going to get demoted for Yuki Sonoda next year. Again, take that with a grain of salt because I said Mick was going to Alfa Romeo and that didn't happen. So take that with a grain of salt. But hey, man, dude, especially in a situation where, where Pierre Gasly qualified fourth but wasn't able to finish the race, unfortunately, Kvyat literally just picked up and said, oh, he could qualify fourth, but watch me go finish fourth. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and I think that that's a, that was a great statement for Kvyat. You think that's something that he needs to do, especially if he's going to make a bid for maybe trying to stay in Formula One next year if he if he can. I don't know who would hire him, but you know there's still plenty of open spots apparently. Um, but yeah, he just made a great, great, uh, great series of moves. He was passing a, a lot of cars when I like I said that Imola is a tough track to pass on in this style of F1 car. So just all around my outstanding performance is going to go to Danny Kvyat this year, this week. Josh, how about yours? I got to go with the, the nine team essentially here, mainly to Chase Elliott and, and and his Jack man. First, Chase did what he needed to do. I think he said, "Right, we got to win in these clutch moments. We need to win when we absolutely have to." And he did that. And he had some down points in the race where he wasn't the best car. And then there at the end, he he did it everything he had to do, and he walked away with it. And I think that was a statement to the field, like, look. I think we're here. I think we've, we've won nine races, but this 10th one is kind of like, hey, we've arrived. Um, now we're running for a championship. Watch what we can do. And it's Jackman, though. The, again, I said the MVP. I think he's the MVP of the season just by them getting the championship for and and Chase and Sher- getting his first uh, championship for appearance and Chevrolet being back for the first time since 2016 when Johnson was there and won the championship. Um, so, yeah, this – you know, if this goes to Truex, I give it to Truex. Truex wins. He he gets the outstanding performance because uh, I think these were the two guys were very similar situations there where I think we need to win. And uh, but Chase, I think this was a statement win to not maybe not even only itself, but the field. Like okay, now we got to watch out for Chase Elliott really in twenty twenty one. All right, so that was the outstanding performance. Time to move on to the upshift downshift segment here. We uh, we've got five questions here. Um, you upshift means you agree. Downshift means you disagree to whether the statement or the piece of news has come out, or maybe it's just a hypothetical. Here, here, what if this were happening? Um, and, and if you go to the neutral, you just don't have enough information, or you're just like, ah, this is indifferent to me. Uh, so um, play along. We will post the questions uh, and uh, let us know what you think uh, on our Twitter uh, with each uh, of the thread questions there. So the first one here. Rob, you mentioned it earlier. Lewis, Lewis Hamilton said there's no guarantee that he will be in Formula One next season. Do you upshift or downshift that he will be satisfied with equaling Michael Schumacher's championship record and surpassing him in the wins record? Uh, yeah, I would upshift on that. I think he's going to be definitely satisfied. 
Uh, I think if that's the question and that's all we're going to leave it at that, I think it's an easy upshift. But I think if also the question comes down to is Lewis Hamilton going to leave Formula One? <laughs> I don't know. I think that decision ultimately comes down to if uh, Formula One decides to go to Saudi Arabia and tear down a bunch of rainforests to go race in Port- in, uh, in Brazil, uh, in Rio de Janeiro, because uh, I think at that point, you're going again. At that point, the sport that Lewis loves is in a situation where uh, is is literally go- going and doing things that I don't think Lewis could support. Uh, I don't think Lewis can support it, and I think it would he would object to it morally. And I think that would be grounds for him saying, you know what? I think uh, now's the time for me to walk away. I've accomplished everything I think I'm going to accomplish. I've won a lot of championships. I've won a lot of races. I've I've set and hold a bunch of records. Now I'm just going to walk away at the top of my game because the sport that I love is going in a direction I can't support. Um, and I think there was a New York Times article that was posted. I retweeted it on my Twitter, and I recommend taking a, a read about it. But Jimmy Johnson essentially said the same thing uh, or something similar to it, not not to that extent, but just saying that you know the times are different and you're just not going to see 30-year uh, careers anymore. You're going to see maybe 20 or 15-year careers at the most because of just how difficult it is and just how much of the grind it is. And I think Lewis Hamilton might very well be feeling that same kind of grind, might very well be feeling that same kind of uh, pressure to uh, stay and, and when he doesn't really feel like he needs to. So, But I, do I think, as for back to that question, do I think that he's going to be satisfied? Yeah, I'm going to upshift on that and say that he's satisfied. As for whether or not he's going to leave Formula One altogether, I'm still a bit neutral on that. And I think that there's still a lot to, a lot to see what happens in, in, in the next coming weeks. Yeah, I, you know what? You actually took some words right out of my mouth. I was going to mention the same thing there with with uh, you know some of his beliefs and and you know we've seen where he stands on environmental issues, uh, which is great. Um, and putting in a race in Saudi Arabia and the money that's there, what it stands for, and then in Brazil with them wanting to tear down a, a very large chunk of rainforest in the middle of a city. You know, to build a, a racetrack when you when you had one there before, um, and where there's got to be another location for it. Yeah, I I think I think he would be satisfied. So I up to for the uh, satisfaction that he is coming here and and done things that people maybe didn't even want him to do because of who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know this is the accomplishments that he's done things that people never think what could be done. And then, but then I am like I'm neutral. Like I don't know if he's going to come back. I, I think, and I think there's also the total wolf deal. I think that that's a little bit concerned. Maybe he's concerned about the future leadership of like, okay, I I don't know if I want to work for someone else. You know, you, we've all had that supervisor or boss where we're like, uh, if you leave, I'm leaving. You know, that mm-hmm. kind. Of, I think that's a lesser thing here, maybe. But I definitely do agree on the environmental stuff there. Um, the next question here. The 2021 NASCAR Xfinity Series schedule features a single standalone race weekend, the Mid-Ohio Race Weekend. Do you upshift or downshift? Now, Rob, I'm going to go first because I've got a beef. Go ahead and go first because I I could guarantee you I probably agree with it and probably will have nothing uh, intelligent to add. Okay. Well, when I saw this, I was cringed. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me, man. We've seen steadily over the past decade and a half Standalone races decline in numbers. We've seen racetracks lose dates and be abandoned, um, if not 
completely abandoned by NASCAR. Um, and it's frustrating. I was thinking to myself, you know, we're going to be losing Iowa. When people want some tracks to return, we want schedule shakeups. What about Memphis? What about the Milwaukee Mile? What about Gateway? Where? Why didn't Gateway get an Xfinity date? When you see Iowa is losing a date, right? Mm-hmm. Two dates. I would have thought Gateway was a lock to get an, X, get an Xfinity Series date once again. The first time they'd host an Xfinity Series race since um, 20, uh, 2010. You know, why didn't that happen? Why wasn't Memphis, who has shown some good races there, their new management? They've had some great races with 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 the uh, West and West Division, I believe, or East Division. Excuse me. Why wasn't it on there? And then you have Milwaukee Mile, a historic racetrack up there that uh, people said, you know, let's let's get another race up there. I think those are the three great candidates to replace races. And I say the Milwaukee Mile because I'm going to go out on a limb, and people can yell at me about this, but Darlington shouldn't have two Xfinity dates because that takes away an opportunity for another track, i.e., Milwaukee Mile. I think it's important for the Xfinity Series to have a little bit of its own identity. And with it going to 32 of the same tracks as the Cup, you know, it doesn't make sense. It's, like it's, 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 it's a piggybacking series. And my hope is that with this, the truth is the, it's, it's the unknown of COVID. Or what, that's, that's the reasoning. And that they didn't want to have the Xfinity Series going to too many different tracks. And it's probably going to be the same situation with the trucks. Away from Cup. They want to keep everyone together. They don't want, you know, you know, in the past where we've had the, the Cup going to one track, Xfinity going to another track, and truck going to a, a third different track. But I, I, I don't like the press in the sense because it's, it's tough to go get away from this again. The great, they replaced him with two great races with, with Martinsville and Talladega. The Iowa dates with, with Martinsville and Talladega, they did a great job of pr- replacing those dates. But I would much rather prefer them seeing going to Memphis and Gateway, which I think are ready to host Xfinity dates again. And Milwaukee certainly be a consideration. And in a perfect world, Pikes Peak, which I, I know they don't have safer bears, and I, know, and, and, and I, will, I, will, I will continue to go on that train that it's an underserved market. Um, so that is my beef. So I have to downshift at the middle Ohio. Thank God. Middle Ohio is still on the right on this, on the calendar. Um, because I enjoy that race a lot. And I think it's one of those tracks that we can get, get uh, a different name in there. Like a, like a, like a James Davison in, behind the wheel or, um, uh, Jack Hawksworth from a few years ago. So I'm just disappointed in this. I, I was, re- I re- had really high hopes and, um, I, I was, I was let down and I just hope I was let down because of the unknowns of COVID. And, uh, that's a very brief of what I was practicing earlier, but, uh, you know, I, I downshift this change, Rob, you're up. Yeah, no, I think I'm going to go ahead and downshift it too. I really have nothing else to add based upon what you said. Uh, I think, you're looking at a situation where NASCAR had plenty of opportunities to maybe go to some different tracks and shake up the schedule a little bit in the Xfinity series as well. And instead they've elected not to do that. Uh, it's very disappointing. It's very unfortunate, but ultimately at the end of the day, it's NASCAR. It's what they're going to do. And I'm going to disagree with it as much as I can, but at the end of the day, I mean, they're going to do what they're going to do in the same regard that formula one's going to go race in Saudi Arabia for God knows what reason NASCAR is going to go, only have one standalone Xfinity race next year. I, it's dumb, but what are we going to do about it? Yeah. 
All right, well, uh, the next one here, the 2021 Formula One calendar will potentially feature a record 23 Grand Prix weekends. Do you upshift or downshift given the uncertainty surrounding COVID-19? Uh, I think that's a bit of a gamble. Uh, definitely announcing 23 right off the bat, um, especially when we don't know what's going on. I mean, we talked about last week that the Freedom 100 has essentially been canceled because we don't know what's going to happen with COVID. You know, we still don't know where we're going to be in 2021. I mean, COVID is not going to go away. Uh, when the clock strikes midnight uh, it, on December 31st, you know, it's not going to go away. It's still going to be around here and we're not going to, we're not really sure when it's going to go away because at the very least, you know, it could be a long time till we get a, a vaccine. So I think if you're looking at a situation where formula one probably has not put a lot of leeway into their calendar decisions. And I think that they should have, I think that they should have, you know, had a more calendar akin to this one, the one that they're running this year in 2020, uh, the revised one, obviously, uh, yeah. Because we don't know what a lot of these countries are going to be like when it comes to COVID. You know, we still don't know. I mean, are they going to allow a U.S. Grand Prix? Who knows? You know, are they going to allow a Mexican Grand Prix? Who knows? Are they going to have a little Canadian Grand Prix? I don't know. Because over here in America, it's a totally different uh, deal than it is over there in Europe. I know the U.K. just went on a new lockdown uh, yeah. this past week. So, I mean, there's that to be to be thinking about. I think, uh, you know, you have, there's a lot there's a lot to, to still be happening here. You know, I, I think it's too early for Formula One to be saying, yeah, we're going to go race another record-breaking season when, in all honesty, they could just say, yeah, we're probably going to do a little longer C schedule than we did last year because we're probably going to start earlier. But at the very least, they're going to probably stay in some of the tracks they went to this year because of COVID protocols. I guess that's not happening. It's disappointing. But I'm going to downshift on it because I think that this is, this is really uh, an uncertain time. And... I understand the uh, I understand the desire to get the schedule out there, but I think everybody is taking the schedule with a grain of salt right now. Yeah, I, I kind of I'm neutral in a way because if you announce a 23 race schedule and you're all going to be in Europe and they're all going to be in the Middle East, okay, great. You know, you you've shown you may have been able to do that this year, but I'm sure their intentions are to go to Asia, to come to the Americas and. You know, it's just the uncertainty of it's. It's all about what what the government says will, will will allow, and it's not just the government where you're going, but it's the government you're coming back to, and that primarily being the UK, um, and in Italy. So, yeah, it, it's a little troubling. I like the optimism. I don't have a problem with them racing twenty three races. More the merrier. But I think in this uncertainty of the world, I would say, look, here's what we're hoping to do. Um, and you can't really announce that with a backup plan. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm neutral, but I'm 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 about a, a split second away from downshifting, just because I'm, I I I don't want another situation this year where they announce a schedule, and because they're an international sporting body, that they're going to have to end up changing it. Um, all right, uh, next one here, NASCAR Scott Miller. This is a good one. I'm glad we didn't talk about this one earlier. NASCAR Scott Miller commented on SiriusXM NASCAR radio that NASCAR would review the actions of Kevin Harvick, who admitted to spinning Kyle Busch intentionally, and Eric Jones being told not to pass Denny Hamlin, basically for on the grounds of manipulation. Do you uh, upshift or downshift the, uh, the uh, NASCAR reviewing these actions? 
This is pretty easy for me. I'm going to downshift. This is ridiculous. I've seen so many so many people. Okay, so after the Martinsville race finishes, everybody's on everybody's on Twitter and everybody's on Facebook. They're clamoring about the same thing. They're like, oh, Harvick, Harvick uh, shoot, spun Kyle out on purpose. He's trying to manipulate the outcome. Or, oh, Eric Jones, he slowed down. He didn't pass Denny Hamlin, so he's trying to manipulate the outcome. There's spin gate, spin gate. Come on. That's not what this is. Look, look, listen, listen. Wrecking guys to win championships has existed for as long as championships have gone down to the wire to decide them. Guys probably are going to end up wrecking some guy at some point. Harvick was in a last-ditch move. He needed one point, basically, to make the Final Four. One point, which means he had to pass Kyle Busch to make it, okay? This is desperation. If I'm in that situation, you're telling me that the difference between me going for a championship and not are one car standing in my way that I am less than a tenth of a second in behind between turns three and four at Martinsville, I am dumping that guy the soonest I get the chance. I do not care because Kyle Busch has been eliminated. He's already got his win. I don't think Kyle Busch is going give to a, give a darn. Harvick, though, is racing for something. Harvick dumped him to try and win that race. He ended up wrecking himself, I think, which was really honestly kind of funny to me. Um, but at the, end, at the end of the day, the manip- the, it, it didn't manipulate anything because had, had he successfully dumped Kyle Busch, he would have been in the playoffs. And, had he, and since he didn't dump, since he essentially crashed himself while trying to correct the 18, he ended up missing the playoffs. So at the end of the day, this is what NASCAR is asking for. And NASCAR is specifically asking for this kind of thing to happen. So no, there's no issue with that. Second of all, you look at the Eric Jones situation. This is something that's been going on since the dawn of racing, team orders. Because in what universe are you going to be a team owner and just say, yeah, all anarchy is going to go break out. I don't care what happens. I don't want to win a championship. If one, if one of my team cars, per, like, prevents another car from like advancing as eh, what no big deal no nobody's thinking that nobody's thinking that at the end of the day you're trying to win a championship and you're going to do everything in that in your power to win that championship so i look at that and i say you know what why in the heck was eric jones supposed to pass denny hamlin why would you if you're a teammate you're you want to be a good teammate you, you, i mean i know he's not auditioning for a ride next year but but people are still going to look at that as were you are you a team player you know, people are going to look at that when you're, they're considering you for jobs. Like Eric Jones is, you know, I don't know what the future holds for Eric Jones, but at some point he's probably going to be needing to look for another job again. And if he's looking for a racing job, people are going to take that into account. Are you a good team player? Well, Eric Jones proved today that he was a good team player. I didn't think he was a very good team player at the Roval when I thought he should have blocked for Kyle Busch. But I digress. I think he was a good teammate here. And this is a situation of team owners that it didn't manipulate. The outcome. Yeah. It's not like Eric Jones spun intentionally so that, you know, no, they, when you have a situation that you can control as a team, if you can control that situation, you're going to control it. And what Michael Waltrip was trying to do was they were trying to manipulate a situation that was outside of their control. That's where they went wrong. That's where it's wrong, where it's not, it's outside of your control. This is a situation where it was entirely within their control and they have every right to tell uh, Eric Jones, don't pass the 11. And I don't think Eric Jones, if I'm Eric Jones, I'm sitting there thinking, no, I want my teammate to win the championship because that's a team win. No, I'm not going to pass him. So, I, look, I, I, I understand where people are coming from, but I think they're wrong. I think flat out they're wrong. So I'm going to downshift. I think there's. I think NASCAR does not need to look into this. There's no reason for them to look into this. I think they made a perfectly fine statement in saying, you know, there's not going to be any penalties. There's not going to be any fines. I think that's all you need to do and leave it at that because at the end of the day, I mean, 
nothing got manipulated. Everything that happened, happened. You know, it's not like, you know, yeah, there's probably a few different realities out there where things are different, but there's no reality out there where Eric Jones passes Denny Hamlin. That just doesn't happen. There's a reality out there probably, if you believe in the multiverse theory, where Kevin Harvick spins Kyle Busch and doesn't spin himself out and makes the final four. But outside of that, I think, you know, there's no big deal. It was no big deal, and I, that's all I'm going to leave it there. I know that's a long rant. Josh, go ahead and take it from there. Yeah, I downshift. You can't have your cake and eat it too. This is exactly what NASCAR wanted when they put Martinsville as the cutoff race to the championship four. Mm-hmm. Right? This is exactly what they wanted. They wanted drama to come to end. Now, thankfully, we got it. I mean, it was great. Uh, uh, you know, with the Eric Jones, because that, that popped up first. Like you said, it's not it's not spinning. It's not like they, not like they got on the radio and said, plan E, plan E, spin. Okay, that that has that has a multiple tangents of how that can affect a race. I mean, you could have Chase lose it and Martin win it or someone else completely different win the race. And then, you know, it's someone who's not in the playoffs win the race. You know, and then you don't have Chase advance. You don't have Martin advance in general. So that's different. This is one point. And plus, if he's blocking, the guy who comes up behind Eric can be like, okay, I'm faster than you. I'm moving you. Bye. Okay. That obviously didn't happen, but it could have. Okay. It's one point. You're talking about one point here. And then he's still going up forward. He's still trying to pass, you know, but still one point. Harvick, that is, again, this is going to be used to promote this race next year and years to come. Just like it happened with Denny Hamlin and Chase Elliott in 2017. How many times do we see that replay? It's everywhere. If Harvick does that with five to go, eh, there might be a problem in general. But I don't think he admits it. This is clear. This is a last-ditch effort. He knows that if I get out here, I'm tied, and I get a tiebreaker because I got a second at Kansas. I don't care who the other guy is. I'm mm-hmm. moving on. So, yeah, I, I don't think this. there's nothing wrong here. My, I think one thing I'd say is, too, don't wait until Monday to talk about it. This should have been decided at the track. Okay, was there anything wrong here? with what Eric Jones and Joe Gibbs Racing did with the review, because you know what on the radio. I would have been scanning their radios anyways. And then you you should know whether it was right or wrong for Kevin to do what he did, because I mean, you, you, you know it's going to be asked, hey, did you mean to do that? Did you mean to do that? Again, you're scanning radios, even. So, yeah, this is something that shouldn't wait till Monday or Tuesday to decide on. You know, this is something you should have decided at the track to begin with and, and commented, you know, you know, say, okay, hey, yeah, we found nothing wrong with it. We're, we're moving on. Yeah, we're good. So, but this is exactly what we wanted or what they wanted. So I'm fine with any of them. There's no manipulation here that is anywhere near the uh, level of, of Michael Walter bracing and Spingate in 2013 at Richmond. Nothing similar to it. Nothing. So anyone he's, he's crying wolf is just upset that I don't even know. Team orders exist, you know. So, but hey, well, as far as Eric Jones listening, I'm actually surprised you listen. He's like, "Hey, I'm getting fired by you. What are you going to do? Not let me race next week? Spire Motors <laughs> will let me drive their car, you know." Um. Anyways, next next question here, Rob. You already touched on a little bit, so I'll let you go first, anyways. So, say if there's anything else you want to talk about, then I'll give mine. But a driver with nine wins in a season, Kevin Harvick is eliminated from the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs and will not race for a championship. Do you upshift or downshift that the playoff system is overly flawed? Uh, I downshift that, and I think I explained that. I think the playoff system has its flaws. I'm not saying that it's 
flawless. I think it does have its flaws, but it is not overly flawed. I think it is a good championship for what it does. Uh, I think when people ask, people say, you know, I, I think you're never going to please everybody. I mean, years before when we had the old chase, so like the, the 04 to like 13 chase or whatever, people complained and said, oh, well, this chase, it doesn't reward the most consistent driver. It only rewards the driver who was best throughout 10 races. Well, then they came up with this new system in 2014. And then people said, oh, well, it's too, it, it's bad. It's not a legitimate playoff. It's, it's for artificial excitement. And then they started saying, okay, well, how about this? Uh, drivers are going to earn bonus points for winning stages and finishing in the top 10 in stages. Uh, and those stages, those points will carry over into the next rounds of the playoffs. Now at that point, you're like, okay, well, you're just straight up rewarding the most consistent drivers all year. So how is this an unfair playoff system? I mean, yeah, okay, Kevin Harvick won nine races. Yes, winning is the most important thing. But at the end of the day, you still have to be consistent in order to win a championship. You can't just be inconsistent. You can't be wildly inconsistent. And you, I mean, let's let's be honest. You could win a stretch in a stretch of eighteen races. You can win nine of those races and DNF the other nine. And I do not care how many of the. I do not care how well you performed in those nine races. You win. You DNF'd in other in nine other races over an eighteen race stretch. And you're seriously going to tell me that you think you deserve to go for a championship if you can't even finish other races? Like, look, dude, look, if Harvick wasn't good enough in the three races that it counted, then he's not good enough to win a championship, If he, even if he was good enough the whole rest of the season. He didn't have enough playoff points. He didn't have enough bonus points to do it. So in my opinion, I don't see it as a being a flawed system. I think, yeah, it's unfair for Kevin Harvick, considering the fact that he did have the most dominant uh, performance of the season. But when it counted, he didn't perform. And what were you going to say to that other than, sorry, tough luck? Try again next year. I really don't have any issues with it, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and and downshift. I don't think it's flawed at all, and I'm eager to hear if you have the same opinion or a different one. <laughs> I mean, I agree. A downshift. It's not overly flawed. I think it's the greatest championship system NASCAR's ever had. Um, first off, Kevin Harvick is not the first guy to win this many races and not win a championship. Bill Elliott won 11 races in '85 and didn't win the championship. Rusty Wallace won 10 races in 93, didn't win the championship. Jeff Gordon won 10 races in 96, lost it by that much. A hair to teammate Terry Labonte. Why? They didn't win, not most consistent. And, this, and when when did all of those races happen? The pre-chase era. The pre-chase era, exactly. You had this a season-long championship, and this is essentially a modified season-long championship. Yeah, and I don't even think it's unfair to Harvick that he didn't win because... You, it, it, if it's unfair, it's not NASCAR's playoff doing. You can blame the package at Kansas. You could blame their call to go racing at Texas. But when it comes down to it, he knew that his arguably his weakest track with him and Roddy Childers is Martinsville, and mm-hmm. you know that race is this cutoff race of the championship four. I'd be in a simulator trying to figure this this track out. Instead, now maybe that could he could have been doing that. I'd be grabbing as much information I can get as I can get from my teammates yes. as well. And 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 he just he didn't come to play. The car didn't come to play. And whatever reason that is, the point is when you were back against the wall, like Chase, he won. Harvick's mm-hmm. back was against the wall because he knew that Joey Logano's victory made it more difficult to him, and then his back's already against the wall. 
or darn near to it when he gets to Martinsville. But this is, I, I think this rewards consistency in general. This whole season does. When, when you talk about winning races, all right, I'm guaranteed in. I get so many playoff points. I win stages. I get through that playoff points. Um, if I finish well in the two stages during the playoffs, during the races, I've got those points to help try to get me moving on by via points, mm-hmm. which is more difficult as the playoffs go around, which rewards winning more. There's nothing wrong with the playoffs here because there's in the, in the playoffs are designed to be more difficult. And it's also designed to help tracks and teams get more money from sponsorship because there's nothing worse. Like we're going to see with F1 next week when Lewis Hamilton is crowned the championship of the Formula One season without the crown until Abu Dhabi. It makes the next races worthless because also second place is already decided because Max Verstappen can't reach Botox. Mm-hmm. Um, so this makes every race count. And on, on, on top of that, I, I listened to the teardown this week, and I have to say this, um, with, with, with Jeff Gluck and Jordan Bianchi. I, Jeff and I, I, I think we agree and disagree a good amount, you know, you know, not back and forth, but in, in his comments in general. But I, I think a championship now is worth more. It means more. Yeah. Than ever before, I don't think it, he said he he said it didn't. He said it means less because you can be robbed like this. You can be robbed like this, but it's consistency. Finish well, win races. You're going to be moving on. You're right. Winning solves all of your problems. This is it is more difficult to win a championship in NASCAR now than ever. Than ever, you mm-hmm. get off to a good start in 2001, two, three. All right. I can. I have a couple mulligans to give. Now you really don't. During the regular season, yes, but during the playoffs, you have no room for error. Zero, zilch. Where in yep. the ten years uh, or ten last ten races of the two thousand one season, Gordon may have been able to have a have a mulligan or two, and 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 I can't remember all his finishes, so maybe he did. But he did w- clinch the championship uh, race early. You know, he, he went to New Hampshire, which was the last race of the season in that year due to his postponement. And um, he didn't. He, I, I can finish last. I can finish last, and I still won the championship. You can't do that now. You finish last. You chase Elliott goes out and finishes last in Phoenix. Guess what? He's not winning the championship. Nope. He has to finish at least thirty seventh, and that's if the other three guys finish the last three positions. So yeah, this this playoff is nailed. It they've 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 nailed it. Um, I'm. I think one thing that helps its cause, and this will be the last thing I say about it is that this didn't happen sooner. If this happens year one, which I think a lot of people may, may say Jeff deserved to be in the, in the inaugural championship for in 2014, because um, he had a great season that year. He scored the most points that season, but he didn't have a, a win count of nine like, like Harvick did. Um, this is the first time we've seen this in this system, but I think it shows hey, if you win, you're, you're moving on. Harvick didn't do that this time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, anyone saying that this playoff system is flawed, this championship system is flawed, is off their rocker. Um, Dude, it, speaking it, of off their rocker, we're so off the rocker here. We're like, we yeah, don't even know. We're, we're, we're back to crazy time. But there's are, a you, lot are you going to do your, your, feature, your featured racetrack? <laughs> I think so. I think we should. You know, we'll okay. Stay well, tuned, wait. everybody. You can skip ahead to, the, to whatever timestamp we do. <laughs> But we uh, 
we we had a lot to unpack this week, and there's a lot of a lot of stuff to talk about. That's okay. Um, I, I think I was expecting this to go over, um, just just because there was a lot to talk about. Um, yeah, I mean, last thing I'm going to say about this, and I apologize if I'm going yeah, to do this, but last thing I'm going to say about this is this is not new. The Patriots went 18 yeah. and 0 and lost the Super Bowl. Yep. And how many people? Back then, we're saying, oh, the Patriots should be the actual championship because they won the most games. Nobody, nobody was saying that. Everybody was – I mean, I'm sure Patriots fans were. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know how that feels because I was a big Eli Manning supporter back in this time. But uh, but I lived with a Patriots fan uh, for a couple of years. Joe, if you're listening to this, thank you for listening to this. I know you don't, but let's say you do. Um, you know, I, I'm just saying, you know, it, it it's a situation like that. You know, you can't just say, oh, so-and-so – had the best season, so they should get the chip. No, it doesn't work like that. It works like that maybe in soccer, where you that that is literally the case. The people with the best season end up winning the championship, and there's like in English Premier League soccer, I should say. Uh, you know, people who end up having the best record at the end of the season and the most points, they win the championship. And there's not like a final playoff or anything like that. But here at NASCAR, there is playoffs. So, <laughs> you know, I'm just gonna say, it's uh, it's it's um. It's a situation like that where I, I think that this is a situation where Harvick just didn't perform what he needed to, and you're right. So I think with that being said, I think we should shift gears here on the Rollers featured racetrack, don't you think? Yeah, I think so here. Um, I chose a bad week to go a little long on the list, but that's, that's all right. We have, you know yeah. what? It's okay because, uh, like I said, we're recording this very late. Uh, the election is still going on, so as long as we're doing this, I'm not watching the election results. So <laughs> I don't have a single problem with this going along. All right. Well, here. Uh, if you've been listening this year, a heavy amount of Rollers featured racetracks have been uh, from the early AAA champ car uh, days and board tracks. Uh, today's featured racetrack is from the Pacific Northwest and is the only site in, and I say site because you're learning in a second, uh, in the state of Washington to host a AAA or USAC sanctioned race, uh, you know, early American Opal Wheel race. Uh, it was a fixture in AAA calendar that started as a five mile dirt course and ended as a two mile board track and sometimes it's referred as pacific coast speedway i present to you tacoma road course and speedway see i love this because it's in tacoma and it's a pacific northwest and as it was someone who has long said that the two places i would love to live more than anything more than indiana uh, or at least not more than Indiana. I would prefer to stay in Indiana forever. But if I had to relocate, I would definitely pick Washington State and Colorado. And Tacoma, the Tacoma area, is one of the most beautiful. And it, really, the whole Puget Sound area is absolutely beautiful. But this is something that's very interesting to me because the uh, racing scene up in the Pacific Northwest has always been a very interesting historical thing for me. So I'm excited to hear what you have to say about this, Josh. All right. Uh, I thought you'd like that too because I know you know big Seattle Seahawks fan. I just love uh, Seattle in general. It's it's it to me, in my opinion, I think there's two great cities, and that's Indianapolis and Seattle. And maybe, maybe Tacoma can be thrown in there too, but mostly those two cities. I love those two cities. So, all right, well there you go, Rob's uh, help uh, fund Rob's move out there one day, uh, or at least get a condo. All right, so the first racetrack, a five mile dirt track, came together when president of the Tacoma Automobile Association, Arthur Pitchard, gathered enough investors to build the track. Uh, the racetrack was uh, bordered by today's Lakeview Avenue, Steelacoom Boulevard, Gravelly Lake Drive, and Southwest 112th Street. So if you're from the Tacoma area or you're familiar with the Tacoma area, you'll know where I'm talking about there. But 
this gives you for people who aren't listening. Go to Google Maps and find it out yourself there. Um, the first of two days of racing on the five-mile uh, dirt course was on July 5th, 1912. Three races were held that day, two 150-milers and a 200-mile race. Car counts were 5, 3, and 6. Uh, for the respective races, the race, the first race was won by Eddie Pullen after leading, after leading, um, the final 18 of 30 laps. How, uh, how you may ask, did he win? Well, Huey Hughes led the first 12, but had a clutch failure and the other three competitors days had already ended. So Pullen drove the last 18 laps or 90 miles by himself. By himself. Wow. Wow. Talk about your Sunday drive. Yeah, no kidding, right? I guess you got no no uh no real uh competition. Yeah, nothing. Uh Earl Cooper led the second 150 mile race flag to flag, and all three competitors finished that race though. Um <laughs> terrible Teddy Tetzloff led 32 of the 40 laps in the 200 mile uh race and final race of the day on July 5th. Um, then the, then, uh, the next day on July 6th, 1912, the Monta Marathon, uh, Monta Marathon trophy race. Tetzloff led 39 of the 50 laps in his way to victory against seven competitors in that race. So eight total cars. As one story goes, I found, um, when Tetzloff was allegedly quote, kidnapped the day before the race and held in a Tacoma brothel before a ransom was paid. He, however, was enjoying his, quote, captivity at this establishment so much that he had to be convinced to leave. There you go. <laughs> wow. This thought, I, I, I couldn't resist not including that in this uh, story. So the first weekend in 1912 saw large crowds and funded enough changes to the track um, that they cut the track from five miles to a length of just under three and a half miles. In 1913, just two races were run, one on Saturday, July 5th, and another on Monday, July 7th. I don't know if it was rain delayed or not. I couldn't find it out, but I just wondered if that's why that was. Earl Cooper won both those events, the Potlock Trophy Race and the Montemarathon Race, a trophy race. In 1914, the track was shortened once more to two mile, just a two-mile dirt track. And it hosted a race on July 3rd and 4th of that year. Huey Hughes won, uh, won the race after 200 miles, eight of the 21 starters didn't start, however, but eight were running at the end. Uh, Earl Cooper, he looked like he was uh, on his way to victory, but faded in the closing laps. Hughes led only the final three. Then on the fourth, Cooper got redemption as he won the 250-mile race. Hughes was eighth uh, with a DNF caused by a valve spring failure. The fourth and final reconfiguration came in 1915 when the track was turned into a board track. Uh, it was interesting shape. Try to picture Phoenix, but with two dog legs. And this is a total coincidence. Once again, I had to compare it to Phoenix. <laughs> but, but picture like like splitting Phoenix in half and keeping in, but doubling the dog leg, like flipping the dog leg over. That's basically what what, what we're looking at here. Turn one was sweet. Okay. Short shoot into turn two dog leg. A short back stretch, and then after turn three, which was a little bit tighter than turn two, drivers passed through another short shoot. Before entering turn four, not as sweeping as turn one, but that was the second most swept corner there, and then went on the front stretch. Um, the corners were each banked at 21 degrees, uh, and before that season's um, AAA-sanctioned race at the track, Dave Lewis went 100 miles per hour in an exhibition race in May of 1915. 
Um, when constructed, the boards were placed on their edges instead of playing, being placed on their sides. The gaps between the boards were packed with gravel and dirt to save on lumber costs. Uh, the cost savings measure meant that the track was known for puncturing tires uh, or cars and splinters all through the from the, all the gravel, just debris flying up, um, and and even uh, you know causing some pretty nasty wrecks. Um, it was uh, one of the original ideas was that they would asphalt liquid asphalt the track, but that never came about from what I could find, and I didn't see even mentioned in one of the historical societies. So I don't think that ever happened. I think it was just a board track through its entire. Uh, career, regular board track his entire career. During the inaugural AAA Champ Car uh, Race Weekend, the two-mile board track, uh, Billy Cole Oil, his nickname was Cole Oil, Carlson, and his mechanic Paul Franzen would perish following a tire puncture. The rubber was ripped off the steel rim and caught aboard, causing the car to go airborne, uh, ejected the drivers. Franzen uh, would die instantly after hitting a stump, while Carlson would die the next day due to internal injuries. Uh, two years later, Conrad Hansen would die uh, in similar fashion um, at Tacoma. The inaugural race was the Monta Marathon Trophy race uh, and was won by Glover Ruxdale. Earl Cooper was second, followed by Eddie Pullen. Uh, the Golden Poltic race uh, was run the next day, and that was also that was won by Eddie Pullen. Cooper was set, uh, second once more, with Barney Oldfield taking third. Uh, from 1916 to 1922, the track saw 11 more AAA champ car sanctioned races, and it even raced during World War I, where many tracks would close. Um, Eddie Rickenbacker, Earl Cooper, Cliff Durant, Eddie Hearn, Ralph Mulford, Louis Chevrolet, Tommy Milton, and Jimmy Murphy all claimed at least one victory during this time. The track's life was already approaching an end when an arsonist burned down the grandstands in 1920. What? Rebuilt, but only would be occupied for two more years by fans. Uh, Murphy won the final AAA race at Tacoma on July 4th, 1922. Austin, burns down grandstands. Yeah, I know. It's like that's two of them in a couple of weeks here. We're burning down grandstands. Um, but also in 1922, the final year for the track. Driver Wells Bennett set a new 24-hour endurance record on a motorcycle during a publicity event at the track. He rode 1,562.54 miles, averaging 65.1 miles per hour on a stock Henderson, stopping only for fuel oil checks in a brief rest to shatter Irwin Cannonball Baker's seven-year record by 28 miles. That's a lot. I feel like that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, it's a long 24 hours, man. Um, similar to Twin Cities Motor Speedway from just a couple weeks ago, the infield of Tacoma would be used as an airport after the track's closure. The Muller Harkins Airport is what it would be named. In 1926, the first airmail service ar arrived, and in 1927, it was renamed the Tacoma Municipal Airport. During the 1930s and 1940s, Pilot training, uh, the Washington Air College, national air races, and many air shows were held at the airport. In 1944, the government filed uh, condemnation proceedings against the airport and it would become federal property. An advanced Navy base was uh, built, but the old hangar that was built in 1929 was spared, and in fact, it does still stand today. Uh, in 1949, the property was declared surplus and acquired by Clover Park School District and later became Clover Park Technical College. As I mentioned, the hangar does remain. I skipped ahead there. Uh, but there's really no trace of the racetrack. There's no trace of the racetrack um, other than a uh, 
a marker near the property that denotes that the track once stood there, and the rest of the grounds are covered by the college and an industrial park. Uh, South Sound Talk, Lakewood Historical Society, Racing Reference, and the History of America's Speedways, Past and Present, brought to you this week's Rollers Featured Racetrack. So another exciting track there. I'm saving one track for later. I know I've teased it back like in May, mm-hmm. um, but it's also a board track, and maybe people who have uh, listened or go back and listen uh, will figure out what track that is. But uh, I wanted to share this one because it was kind of unique, only you know, race of its type. Uh, for AAA Champ Car to help be held in the Pacific Northwest, a place still pretty much neglected by major sporting in North America. That's one of the main downsides, I think, to wanting, for me personally, wanting to live in Seattle so bad, or Tacoma, that area, is is I could never, like, even if I got the opportunity to do so, which, let's be honest, I don't think I ever will, but even if I got the opportunity to do so, the hardest thing, I think, would be to go from Indiana, which has one of the best racing scenes in the whole country to the pacific northwest that hardly has one at all yeah you're talking about uh, you know one drag race uh maybe one indy car race and maybe some small you know ssca events at pacific raceways so it's it's pretty might be there's i know there's a few short tracks up there but yeah there's there's some short tracks you get a good arc of west yeah for however long that long that series remains as its own uh, independent entity, but uh, we digress there. Speaking of, oh, they got a race coming up here. So, what's in the windshield? Well, I'll give you a second, Rob. Got any last thoughts before we close out today? No, I, I'm I'm good. We just hit two hours, so I think we should yeah. uh, give our nice listeners here a break and and wind the show down. All right, but we haven't hit two hours in a long time. So, with that said, what's in the windshield? Formula One is off this weekend, but next up for the World Championship, it, it they go to Turkey, the Istanbul Park. And what will be the eighth Turkish Grand Prix, uh, but the first since 2011. That race is in two weeks on November 15th. Believe it or not, there are three former winners in the field. Kimi Raikkonen, Lewis Hamilton, and Sebastian Vettel. Um, we just need Felipe Massa to come back for one race, and we'll have all four of the former winners. Yeah, um, I don't see that happening. I don't see it happening either, but one can hope. NASCAR concludes four seasons. Yes, four. If you've paid attention, it's four seasons at Phoenix Raceway on Friday, November 6th, Sheldon Creed, Brett Moffitt, Grant Infinger, and Zane Smith will fight for the 2020 NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoors Truck Series title. On Saturday, the ARCA Menard Series West concludes its 11-race season on the one-mile oval. 15-year-old Jesse Love holds a 14-point lead over 20-year-old Blaine Perkins. Love needs to finish eighth or better to guarantee the championship is his, but at a 27-car field, that is a season high for the series uh, this season uh, kind of stands in his way there. Uh, should love finish ninth or worse. Perkins uh, would win the tiebreaker, but he's got to win the pole and lead the most laps uh, to do so. Um, bad news for him. Love has only finished worse than fourth one time this entire mm-hmm. season. So if you're a betting man, go with Jesse love. Also on Saturday, the NASCAR Xfinity series crowns a new champion, Chase Briscoe, Austin Cindric. Justin Haley or Justin Allgaier will host the Xfinity Series Championship Trophy for the first time. Two Indiana boys. I mean, we didn't we forget to mention that earlier. We're two Indiana boys. Yeah, we are. They're both from Indiana. Haley being from Winnemac and uh, Briscoe from Mitchell, Indiana. So, uh, you know, we might be a little biased for them. I don't know. And then on Sunday, it's the big one. NASCAR uh, Cup Series races 500 kilometers. And uh, 
Brad Keselowski, Chase Elliott, Denny Hamlin, or Joey Logano will be the proud owner of the newly renamed Bill France Cup. Logano and Keselowski each go for the second title, while Elliott and Hamlin go for their first. It's going to be a fun weekend of racing. I'm glad I got Sunday off again. I'm able to watch the Cup cup race um, in its conclusion after a wild 2020. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited for this weekend, Rob. I know you are, too. So thanks again for listening. We know we've gone long. If you've listened to this whole show, Thank you for sticking around. Hope you enjoyed it. If it's your first time, make sure you follow us on Twitter. You can hear those at the beginning um, as well. Wear your mask. Do your all the precautions here, guys. Again, we Rob mentioned we got these UK lockdowns uh, coming up again. Um, you know, just just be careful out there. Do everything you can. It's a small part, but it goes a long way. Um, so for Rob Peters, I'm Josh Roller, and this was the Racing with Robin Roller podcast. Have a great week, everybody.